audience of Potterfic Weekly, also known as Puffwa. Um, this is Danielle. I'm filling in for Karen. Um, but I bet you couldn't tell the difference because we're pretty good at doing this old lady voice. Um, Ryan has told me that I should inform you that the episode does not really start until 42 minutes in. This would be because the gang at Puffwa is really good at being off-topic. There's nothing wrong with that, but we felt we should warn you. They talk about everything from iguanas to red ants to this really big blister that I got on my finger. It's gross. But anyway, I digress. Also in this episode, you will have a commercial from Richard and Kate Lestrange. And at the end, stick around because Rinna makes a comeback. That's all. Enjoy the show. Bye-bye. Hey, Poofa, I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. And we're from the Hogshead, and we're coming to tell you what we're going to do here at THH is mostly delve deep into, you know, alternate universe stuff and the off-canon ships. Uh, like me, the reason I love it is because canon doesn't always do it for me. Um, it's not to say there's anything wrong with it, but it's to me it's on the boring side. And, you know, not everybody wants to see one big happy Weasley family. So uh, that's sort of what gets me going. How about you, Kate? What's up? Um, mostly I just like AU because it's sometimes after reading so much canon and rereading canon and then reading canon-based fix, it gets kind of tedious. So AU stuff is just kind of an outlet, and I'm really open to it, too. So, I don't know, it's it's like a little adventure for me. I think it's the same for me. Um, you don't want to hear the same story told a million and one times. What's the deal with that? But... You know, that's again, that's what THH is going to be about. Uh, the podcast is going to cover these fix in depth. So if you're into that sort of thing, you know, you like the weird ships, you like the Harmony stuff, Germany stuff, Harry Tonks, you know, Tonks. them too. Uh, you like, you like, um, <laughs> you like Remus and Sirius, you like Slash, you like whatever. Um, we're not going to close our doors on anything. So. Uh, if you want to participate, you know, come on and guest host. If, you, uh, if you're slightly opinionated but not in a mean kind of way, you know, come participate with us. You know, we'll have you on. It's no big deal as long as you're respectful to everybody. You know, it'll be fun. And so, Kate, why don't you uh, let everybody know when our first episode's coming out? Right. Well, the first episode is going to be released on October 1st. So make sure that you tune in to that and download it. So do us a solid and give it a listen. And, oh, by the way, uh, the website, the address is www.thehogshead.net. So go there now. Yeah, and on our site, you can find the link that will say forum. And you should go there and chat us up. And if you listen to our podcast, like I begged you to do in previous minutes, then I will love you forever. And seriously, now, who can, you know, refuse an offer like that? I don't know who could. <laughs> not you. <laughs> Obviously not. Thank you, Kate. And now we're going to pass you off to our friends at Potter Fake Weekly. For September 17th, 2007, this episode is really, really late. Blame Ryan. Hey, Ron. The next time you're... Remember that time that you stole my chocolate cup.
and welcome back to episode 26 of Puffwa, everybody. I am Ryan. I'm Jen. I'm Phil. I'm Meg. That was nice. We all said hi, and we didn't, like, you know, trip over each other or say <laughs> in alphabetical order. Or I, forget to, forget I think you just it. missed it. That's all. Yeah, that was that was take 22, <laughs> so, that, so that was pretty good. We're, we have a nice, small, quiet group this week, as opposed to last week's episode, when I think my mother stopped by. So we're going to be getting into, like I said, chapters 30 through 38 this evening of A Year Like None Other. I actually just finished chapter 38 tonight, so I'm really excited about these chapters. I This is actually the first time, I think, since we've been podcasting, I was actually emailing myself like notes from work, like things to make sure I brought up in the podcast, and I don't have any of them with me, so it really didn't help me that much, but I just thought you all should know it was the first time I've ever, ever been you know inclined to do that, so that was a pretty big step for me. Good! I was very excited. Now, Jen, how are you? I'm fine. Anything new? I swear, I'm giving Texas a bad name, and I don't mean to be. But <laughs> I really don't. And like Jules, but Jules will probably appreciate and laugh at this one. Um, I was at home, and like I would let my dogs out every day. I come home, and I just let them out, and they go bark around, and they're stupid. But most days, if I don't walk out on the grass with them, they'll just sit on the porch with me. So like I'll just stand at the doorway, and they'll just sit and look at me and like hop around on, on each paw and not go anywhere. It's you real hop, stupid. You have hopping dogs. I do have hopping, they're little hoppity dogs. We have a chihuahua named Nova and a red healer named Brooke. Only we call Nova Squeaker lately because all she does is like squeak at things. <laughs> like, so we started calling her Squeakers. Well, these um, dogs have had a tough life, Jen. I mean, you've put them in, you know, <laughs> trash bags and carried them over floods. Your car almost ran them over. I mean, I, I know. These poor I think dogs have been I think, through everything. I think they're Nova just almost got eaten by the bear. No. <laughs> I think they're just having a little trouble going in the lawn, and they just need some moral support. I mean, I Maybe. No, they're just <laughs> stupid. And they, they're too petite. They're, like, too girly. They won't go out in the grass unless they go out. So, okay, so I'm in my, little, like, flip-flops and jeans, and I'm, like, walking out in the grass, and I'm just walking. Like, I don't even stand in one general area like I'm just walking and I looked I feel something like tickle my foot and I think great I got a sticker or something I look down and my foot is absolutely covered in red ants and and so but none of them none of them were stinging or anything but like if I see a bug like I leap like 20 feet so I throw my flip-flop off and I'm like trying to like rub my feet without getting stung and like get these things off me does this the happen most often I'm, I'm, fr- I'm from massachusetts uh sometimes like, i think red here. ants is just a southern thing i really do believe that it only is no we don't have any red ants up here no red ants i think is it might even just be a texas thing i, I don't know but they're these horrible things and they're everywhere like they're very common and like you can put chemicals Googling out and ants. get rid of them and things but like we have a pool and like you can't do chemicals when you have a pool like it's a city or I don't know. Anyway. Oh my god! And That's so, gross. because you could die, like you could die. What's gross? I'm looking at the picture Not of a red ant in a pool. How, how big oh, are yeah. these ants really? Like, like what's the? Are they the size of normal ants, or are they? The, I don't know. No the size of normal. Yeah, ants, like red they? ants are this pretty. Ant big. Like, there's long. we have black ants, which are like these little minim- millimeter things. Yeah, like little bitty, and there are swarms of them. And then red ants are like a bit, they're like twice or three times as big, and they're fat, and they, they sting you. 
And um, and it le- it's like a mosquito bite, except worse, like just a little bit worse, I think, than a mosquito because it, it, it burns like it doesn't itch. It burns like and then it itches. And so really. So it's just annoying. But anyway, those things were covered. And like if you swat at them on your foot, like my foot was covered. I can't even tell you. Um, I, they must have just I, I must have just they, there's piles all over the yard. You know, you have to. And they just they just got on your foot without you realizing didn't, you didn't feel them. I didn't feel, no, I didn't. And, um, but I looked down and I was covered. Well, I mean, you don't feel them till you like really feel them. And, um, so anyway, so I, so I went over to the water thing and turned it on and took, I mean, I'm like screeching and, and like <laughs> my oh dog's my God. Around. I just sent a picture of the Meg. <laughs> oh, that is disgusting. <laughs> oh my God. You, oh my God. My foot was Wait, covered in that. I would faint. I just sent, I just sent a picture of a red ant to, to Meg. Oh, I didn't see. Okay, well, well anyway. they were on your foot today. I figured you. Well, I hope that you're not looking at like an African red ant. Like they weren't like as big as my hand or anything. Like they're just little, they're little red ants. All right, and now I'm um, so I watered red them ants. off, and I was so proud because I looked and like usually you get an ant stuck between your toes or something. They sting you there, and like it's just awkward and hurts. And but no, none of them stung me, and I was so happy. So I put the water hose, dropped the water hose, and I like. Reach. I put my foot down to reach to turn the water off, and when I did, I stood on a sticker patch. Now, for, and like, for, I mean, for I our stood. listeners who might be confused, you did that. You did not actually step on a pack of like smiley stickers. No, not like a not like a licking stick. No, okay. these are like Texas. I, I don't know. I guess that, is it only a Texas thing? Like, I I don't know. I'm getting the idea. Remember. It is. It, it, there's like they're very common here and like they they're just these sticker they're like this long thin pole and each pole has like six little stickers on them and each sticker has like all these pointy things that really like stab the crap now, out what of is the, in the and what is the point of the sticker patch there's no point it's a weed like it's, it's a, a weed, weed I th- okay. you can't get rid of and they're everywhere and like you can't walk around in your get in your grass without shoes okay unless you like pay and get like the really expensive grass and even then you have to use special chemicals to keep those the stickers out because they're everywhere. I don't you know can't how get rid of people live there. Well <laughs> stickers are common. Like everybody knows about you just don't walk around in your grass. Anyway. Uh, and so um Or get out of your damn car or you know, yeah. yeah, so I'm like shoeless. So I step on this dang sticker <laughs> like I'm not joking. Like I must have stepped on five of those like stamp things. There was like 23, 23 stickers in my foot, and like some of them like left splinters. Like so, I was sitting. So I hobble. I turn the water off. So you're and I'm attacked like, by red ants, and then you like jump the other way. Now you've landed on a sticker patch. I no, I didn't jump. Like I just stood on it. Like just stupidity of me not looking down. My father and, always used to say, like, if your foot's hurting, like, smack your arm, because then your arm will hurt. You'll forget about the foot. Jen's like, oh, God, red ant. Ah, and then she steps <laughs> in the sticker patch. I know. And then it's like, it was like the, one of those bad, like, movies that one thing happens, then another, and then another. Well, like, so I hobble over to the porch and sit down and, like, get my trusted tweezers out of my pocket because I just keep them around with me. Like I think, I, I think you need to keep them around, Jen. I do. I love them. I just tweeze everything all the time. Anyway. And um, they're really handy. Like, you get something stuck in your keyboard, you just tweeze it out. Anyway, and um, I do that all the time. Anyway, and so I had my tweezers, and I'm getting these, like, 23 splinters and stickers out of my feet. And I'm, I'm like, looking, like, I mean, like, tears are in my eyes because, I mean, it's that, like, hurt pain, but I'm not really sad or anything. But I sit down, 
and this danged iguana comes out of the freaking porch. <laughs> and the iguana. Like, under my... Iguana, yeah, it comes out of my porch, under me. I don't even know if it's <laughs> Is this, like, a coordinated iguana? attack by the animals to, like, steal your property? <laughs> I know. Enter the wildlife. <laughs> you can picture them in, like, in this giant meeting room. <laughs> well, like, and the red ants have, like, yeah. you know, a stick they're using is like, a pointer. Okay, we will attack here. And the iguana will move into position. <laughs> They're like, that damn bear didn't do its job. (laughs) I mean, it's very calm, but usually they don't come out until, like, evening time. And, like, I mean, I'm sure y'all have, like, we have frogs and lizards just everywhere. And they come on the porch, and they come in the house, and you're just like, ugh, and you have to, they get in the toilet. You know, you just have to deal with them. You have frogs in your toilet? No, not frogs, lizards. You have lizards in your toilet? toilet? Like, they kind of look like, some of them are small and look like those little gecko things. In your toilet? (laughs) Yeah, like they get in there sometimes Seriously? and like, yeah, oh like you have God. to like, like in this, I, it's in the summer, like it gets hot and these things come in the house and like, um, so you have to look under your toilet, like your thing when you sit down and make sure there's not, but then, you know, they're just in there like occasionally. It's not like every time you go there. Well, anyway, so like this big fat iguana comes out from under the house. I'm like, I was shocked, but not shocked to see one because we see them all the time, but see one like in the daytime. Are they well, fast like, moving out. iguanas? I have no oh, idea. Oh man. Yeah. They're fast. Not like, like armadillos are like freaking slow, but like these things are really fast. And, oh, and so, um, so it comes out and my dogs decide, oh my God, we're going to kill it. Cause <laughs> you know, they're big, tough dogs that kill. Igu- well, this iguana was like, it's a small one. It was like just as big as my arm. Just a little one. Whoa. And whoa, it starts walking. Whoa. It, so it's whoa. kind of walking slowly. Whoa. Did you whoa. say whoa? I said whoa like seven times. It was a small one. It was only as big as your arm. Okay. Like as long. I mean, like think from- of it as a thin one. A thin arm. How big is a big one? Not like my whole arm. Like from my elbow to my finger That's point. That's huge. No, no, it's that's not. Like, that's a that's like Meg's kid. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> Seriously. No, like, think of, of it as thin. No. Yes. No. <laughs> no little. How big uh, is a big one? But that was with its tail, too. Like, it's not very... Okay. I mean, that's... So think of it as with its tail, well, Where too. was its body at? Still, that's big. I mean, the tail has got to be, like, six inches. Like, half of its body of its tail. Meg sees a mosquito and starts crying. She's like, that's well, big. Yeah, and I live yeah. in Wisconsin, so that does not do good for me. <laughs> oh, they're not... They're not... They don't bite or anything. They're just... They're kind of just... They're neat to watch. I actually they're don't mind them. Maybe they're salamanders. No. Whatever. No, they're terrified of everything. We used to keep oh, them in jars and, like... I guess we'd kill them, but... <laughs> I don't, it was so fun to keep we we had them all in our bedrooms. So you got bored with them. And I guess she understand. My mom was a science teacher, and so we were always bringing in crap. Like, here's a garden snake, mom, and she would be like, "Go put it back outside." Okay. Here's an iguana, mom. Okay, go put it in the jar, and then we'll kill it. I later. don't know. Honestly, it may not be called an iguana. Like, I'm just. It's just like this lizard thing. I don't. It, they probably are like outdoor. Li- all right, I'm looking at the picture of an iguana right now, and I don't care what you say. This is the thing I'm picturing. So I will put all these pictures up on PotterfickWeekly.com along with tonight's episode, and our viewers and our, our viewers who have our listeners can judge for themselves. Well, the end of the story, the end of the story is the iguana, like, goes up onto the porch and, like, walks beside me, around me, to the other side. And so my dogs see it and, like, tackle me because I'm standing in between me and the lizard iguana thing. And so I have, like, bruises and scrapes plus my splinters. I know. I'm, like, all beaten up. So I think I have all my splinters out now. 
I'll make James look when he gets home, but I think they're all gone now. Jen, I just, I don't know what to say anymore. (laughs) (laughs) It really is like wildlife is out to get you. It, no, it's planet. just honestly, it's just my stupidity. And honestly, that's all this what is. And everyone from anyone from Texas will be like, "Yeah, you should look down, you dipshit." It was, you know, <laughs> it's, just, it's just my stupidity. It's not anything out to get me. I'm just retarded. <laughs> Have you ever thought of moving? Maybe that will help. Yeah, no. don't get me don't started. Wisconsin, because we have ticks here. Oh, yeah, we luckily we don't have enough water that we don't grass doesn't grow tall enough for us to have a tick problem. Oh, but I but I know that in Arkansas, we had a tick pro like there were ticks everywhere. Oh, oh my gosh. Someday you're going to have to ask me to tell you the story of the guard of the gar- garden light, the garden light, the garden, the garden light, garden light. <laughs> What's a it sounds like something light? the Swedish chef would own. No, seriously. Light? It is the, like, the okay, I went to co- I'll just tell you really quick. I went to college in the middle of freaking nowhere, Arkadelphia, Arkansas. And, yes, laugh at the name because it's really, we had a Walmart. Ar- well, anyway, That's a Arkadelphia? real place? Yeah, yeah. It's, like, between Little Rock and Hot <gasps> Springs. And uh, so I went it's there. Right and next like, to it, Gotham City. There's two major universities there, like, across the street from each other in this, in this empty town. Well, anyway... Rena knows what I'm talking about too. Um, well, I w- there is a little town next door to it. Wait, I mean, imagine the smallest place on earth, and imagine its next door neighbor that's smaller. And it's a place called Garden. <laughs> that makes no and, sense. And they it's Garden, it's Gurdon, I think Owen, but everybody pronounces it Garden. It's Garden. <laughs> and so you go to Garden, and there is this this thing that's on the Discovery Channel. It's on like National Geographic. It's like on the top ten. And, um, oh God, what it's called. Some mysteries uh-huh. that are real that people don't know why they, they're unexplained uh-huh. mysteries. And I'm trying to wrap not, my arms around this. All right. It's so cool. It's so, so you basically, is this, hold on, is, is compared to an explained <laughs> mystery. Well, like it's a natural, it's a natural thing. Uh-huh. It, you know, nobody's doing it. It's just a natural unexplained mystery that they don't know why it's there and how it happens. As opposed to something that is also happening naturally that they do know why it happens, but it's also a mystery. Right. It's just unscientifically proven. They don't know why it happens. Well, thank you for clarifying that. Please. Well, yes. Okay. So basically you, (laughs) this shows you what we did on the weekends. Um, But we, (laughs) there is, there was an old train, train track, you know, for miles, miles. And it was just, they don't use it anymore. So it was, you know, and so it's just empty and, and dirt was building up on it, you know. But it, so, and in Arkansas, there are trees that go all the way to the to the sky and they, they kind of bend over uh, over the train. So you can't see the sky. It just is black. Do you know? Yeah. So you go out there in the middle of the night and it takes about two hours to walk. You get on this train track and you just walk for two hours. And you have to cross like seven um, trestles. Do you all know what a trestle is? No. I didn't know, but evidently, like, that's where the ground, like, a train goes over, and that's where, like, a ground goes down, and the, and trestles are what holds up the train track when there's no ground. Like, over a, bri- like, a bridge, okay. sort of. Like, a small bridge o- under a ditch. Like, through, okay. in a ditch. That's okay. a trestle. So, you have to go out, and, like, there's, like, a half a mile or three-fourths of a mile between each trestle. So, you are really walking, and, but the train track is, like... It's so old, like you, ha- and you're out there with like your flashlight that you could fall through and die. Like you have to be really careful. 
And so we're like going out there and it's like a big, I mean, you take food and everything. It's a big deal. And, um, but so much fun. And like, we would go out there on Halloween and people would hide behind trees. Like there was a graveyard on one side. Like you would go out for a couple of miles and there'd be a graveyard and, and people would come out and scare the crap out of you. But you get to a certain point uh-huh. down this railroad track in the dark and everybody, you turn off your flashlights because your eyes start adjusting to the black. Uh-huh. If that makes sense, it's so oh, dark yes, you yes, you, yes, but yes. you can see. And you can pick up the gravel from the road and throw it in front of you and watch every uh, watch it spark blue sparks and red sparks as it hits the ground in front of you. So you go and as you walk, every time you, that you're walking, the friction creates light Whoa. from the rocks. It's the coolest thing. I can't tell you. And so then you keep walking a little bit more and you see in front of you this light. It's like somebody is in front of you, like 30 or 40 yards in front of you, waving a lantern is kind of what it looks like. Just this white, bright light. And But there's no handle and there's nothing. And you walk about five steps forward and the light disappears. And you turn around and you see the light 30 or 40 yards behind you. That's a Twilight Zone episode. It's just yeah, this weird. light. I'm just telling you, it is so freaky. And like, what? believe me, you freak yourself out. Like there are all these stories about how it's a guy who's looking for his head or his wife or, you know, shaking his. It's like a Halloween story, but it is actually an unsolved, like an unscientifically proved mystery, like the top 10. It's it's in the top 10 list in the United States. Like nobody knows why, but you go out there and you see this light and it's just the freakiest thing. I can't even tell you. So there's no scientific explanation for it at all. There's no, they don't, they have no idea, but we scare ourselves silly. Yeah. So that's what we did. Jen, in have backyard. you ever visited Roswell, New Mexico? I have. Yeah. I, uh, really? Yeah. It's very touristy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the aliens have to pay for their well, exactly. <laughs> the tax yeah. rates on the federal level are just enormous there. They have to pay for their, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't think I saw an iguana. I just saw this picture. I think it didn't have like, yeah. it the iguana <laughs> caused the light just like this, except it didn't have like the, like <laughs> the neck thing. Like it doesn't have that neck turkey thing. All right, I don't care what you're saying. This is an iguana, and this is the thing that attacked you. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of too. For everyone who's wondering what the heck we're talking about, Powerfish Weekly Dog. I love how I'm saying and it was like that big. I love how I'm saying hack and Jen saying dip. But you know what? Whatever. Just go to PowerfishWeekly.com and the picture of sorry, the attacking iguana is right there. No problem. But anyway, y'all know my Gurdon Lot story. I, I do, and I'm, I, I gotta tell you, I'm sleeping with the lights on tonight. Oh no, no. It was In front really of you or fun. behind you? Uh, or both. I, I'll sleep in the driveway and be attacked by the wilderness. <laughs> Sounds good. Does anyone okay, else... Sorry, that was so off topic. Oh, no. Have we ever been on topic? Even yeah, once? no kidding. <laughs> Seriously. Right. Oh. I don't think I have a story this. Well, I have a story. Tell me. Uh, well, I don't know. Do we want to talk about Harry Potter tonight? Eh, okay, one quick story. All right. <laughs> so, Danielle. You're like, with the lever. Okay. Yes. So, Danielle comes home for the weekend and. We're going to have a dinner party with all of our friends. So we run out and we buy all of this food and she's going to bake this wonderful cake, a picture of which I will put on com, right between, you know, the iguana and, you know, the red ant. <laughs> and 
Danielle's cooking and all of my friends come over. Many of them haven't really met each other before. I have friends from high school, friends from college, friends of friends, and, and everyone's just kind of meeting and getting to know each other. And one of my friends, we started talking about politics and about, you know, the upcoming presidential primaries. And one of my friends was asking me how the primaries worked, or maybe I was just volunteering this information and they just really couldn't possibly care less. It likely was <laughs> probably that. And I was in the middle of describing how, you know, the, the presidential primaries work. And I'd love to go into it now, but I'm, I'm afraid the other five people still listening at this point will, will, will turn the show off. But if you want to know, email me at ryanparfickweekly.com. It's fascinating. So anyway, I'm, I'm explaining how the process works, and I'm in the middle of, let us just say, a very controversial sentence. Now, I could easily say what I said, but last week we offended so many people. So oh many people. I have to tell it was you, just all the countries in the world. That's all we offended. I have to tell you, at the time I'm saying this, I haven't even put the episode out yet, and yet I'm already getting hate mail. So just to let you know. <laughs> oh, no. Your word got out. So in the middle of a very, very controversial sentence, Danielle screams. And I think to myself, <laughs> that's odd. And what actually happened was she stuck her hand into boiling caramel. But oh, I really, oh, but God, I have, terrible. But I, of course, make it all about me. So, <laughs> so I eventually realized that Danielle, you know, after taking in my controversial statement, should not need to put her hand under freezing cold water. So I run over, and what happened was she got she touched the caramel on two of her fingers, and she got it under water, and, and it, the skin got you know wiped away, and you know, she, she it's under the water now. She was told on the first day of culinary school, if you burn yourself on caramel, you will get a third degree burn. So she is thinking she has a third degree burn. Two of my friends who barely know each other charge from the house, and they drive to the supermarket where they buy all of the band aids and all of the bacitracin. I think they got a couple of get well soon balloons, and oh, they, met, they met the pharmacist, and they and they and they and they buy her some popcorn. They come back with everything and Danielle's sitting there and you know she's at my at my sink still with her hand under the water and we eventually convince Danielle that we, we should go to the emergency room. So all seven, six of us cram into two cars and we drive to the emergency room. Now Jen I know you've been in the hospital recently but has anyone done the emergency room thing Yes. Okay. Yes. I take all the emergency out of the term emergency yes. when you go to the emergency oh room. So we charge to the emergency room. I wish Brenda was here right now to tell us what the emergency room is like. And, and of course, I run up and scream, <laughs> she's been totally poisoned. I really didn't say that. We signed yeah. her name on the little on the list. And 20 minutes yeah. later, the ner- the male nurse comes out and, and, and brings it. Now, I just have to tell you something about triage. There was a pregnant woman who looked like she was in a great deal of pain, but they let the guy with the sprained ankle go first because he beat her to the counter to sign in. For, I just thought that. I was know it. what that's yeah. like. That was. A well, wait a yeah. I could have killed wait. someone then. <laughs> I am did, not. Did a you say? Person, but did you say that you got? Did she got attention in twenty minutes? She got attention in twenty minutes. But here's the oh. thing. Okay. He pulled us into the room and said, "What happened?" She said, "Well, I burned myself." And he decided to take he, – he, he wanted to take her pulse. So they, they take your pulse by putting the little thing on your finger. 
and he tried to put the thing at first on the finger that had just been burned, which you know, we realized, hey, bad idea. So eventually he takes her pulse, he takes her blood pressure, and sends us back out into the waiting room. Now, another okay, now how long were you waiting that time? Uh, we went back out for about another 20 minutes, but this is the thing I found odd. If you're in an emergency room and there's TVs everywhere, they should not probably be tuned to a rerun of ER. Just throw it out there for you. Okay. So then we got... Scrubs. Scrubs. Yes. Help. So then we got pulled yes. back into the room again, and then and the next nurse says, ooh, that looks terrible. What's your name? Danielle gives her name. What's your date of birth? Gives her date of birth, goes down you know, the list of all of her allergies, where she lives, where she went to school, what her major is, who her first crush was, the first time she kissed a boy, where is her car parked in the parking lot, is she a, t- is she a type line driver? Down the list, sends us back out into the waiting room. Then the woman from the registration department pulls us in to get her healthcare information and asks all of the same questions while still going, ooh, that looks terrible. Thank you. We didn't know. Was Danielle, was she saying, oh, I'm in pain? Not really. She was handling it pretty okay, well. That's the key. That's the key. Yeah, well, you the, have to. Even if you're having a lot of pain, you have to moan and wail. Well, the thing that Danielle did, which which a friend of now, I have to tell you, we brought our whole dinner party with us. One person, <laughs> they asked her, you know, what, how is the pain on the scale of one to ten? And Danielle said a six. And my friend was like, No, you don't say six. You say three hundred. No, no. And then when they yeah. say, no, no, dear, it's uh, one to ten, you scream 300 at them again. She didn't do that. <laughs> so like, eventually, oh, after yeah. an hour and 45 minutes, we get brought in, I, and I, I'm trucking along with her, and I'm carrying the, the, the can of aloe spray in case you know she's poisoned and they need to know what did it, and I'm carrying her purse because it matched my flip-flops. And <laughs> we, we go into the emergency room, and the doctor comes out and says, ooh, that looks terrible. And I'm like, thank you, the registration woman took care of us already. And then he looks at it and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put some bacitracin on it, and we're going to put a Band-Aid over the bacitracin. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. Oh $75 later, it, yep. it, it, it was a very, very oh, wonderful Band-Aid. Much for That's the most expensive much- Band-Aid you've ever bought. It is. And we've named the blister. The blister what? is the size of a golf ball. Like, literally, guys, the blister was so big, I had to take her back to New York because she, she didn't sleep all night because she was afraid she would hit the blister again. So, like, huge blister. We named it Willard, which is the first <laughs> name of uh, Massachusetts Governor Mitt Romney, who's running for the presidency. We thought that the blister had a lot in common with Mitt Romney. So we yeah, excellent. <laughs> and we're going to leave it there. And if anyone wants to know my thoughts on the presidential primary, Ryan at perfectweekly.com. <laughs> Well, I think I could guess. Tutorial on how the primaries oh, work. Oh, the emergency rooms suck. <laughs> so that was my week. Yeah, they're my favorite. But usually when I go, it's something they they just get me right in. <laughs> well, Jen's got like an iguana stuck to her die. like one arm, like this ant's crawling all over her, and she's being chased by you know a light without a lantern. So they, they don't want to so like much. even when I went when I was in labor, they were like, okay, well, could you answer some questions for us and. How is your pain? And I'm there's like, a small child think? trying to escape my body. <laughs> Did they give her anything for her pain? No, but I gave her a hug. Oh, and some well, I went in one time. I didn't do squat. No, seriously, <laughs> really I went in one time for um, it was like a terrible kidney infection or something. I'd gone in, I didn't know it. I thought I was dying, and I, had- I went in. Have you had that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really bad. It's really bad. Like, I could not sit. I couldn't stand. I couldn't lay. Like, it was just excruciating. Like, I had tears running down my face. It was just awful. And, of course, I wait three days. So, it was really bad by the time I decided to go. (laughs) So, I go and I get there. And, like, they 
they, you know, it te- they, I swear, they get me right in, but you still have to wait like an hour. And that's mm-hmm. getting right in. And, and um, the doctors don't have anything else to do. I've been in the emergency room so many times, and I don't think there's anyone else there. And I'm still sitting there for like half an hour. Like, what are they doing? And I'm like, they're talking on the phone to their well, family or there, something. So they, they finally, they take me back and they, um, they give me like a little ibuprofen or something for the pain, which I'm just like, great. And, um, <laughs> but they give me, they gave me a series of shots. Like, I don't think I was there for very long, but they didn't tell you what they give you there. They just start giving you shots. Mm-hmm. And one, they said, oh, this one's for the pain. And, and like, they give you that one like 15 minutes before I was to leave. So they gave me this <laughs> shot and I was like, oh man, the pain, I mean, it's starting to feel better. I feel better. I mean, it's kind of numbing everything and so I'm like still talking and I'm fine and I get I'm like a little woozy you know kind of like I I had one too many drinks not (laughs) drunk but you know a little woozy and so James takes me out to the car and I start talking about how I don't think that it's right that Mexicans don't use the decimal system like Americans (laughs) and um like what and uh, we finally (laughs) got Mexico to listen to us again I know. Sorry, Mexico. And like, but seriously, I brought up that point and like, I got all the way home and I went to my mom and dad and like, I was in such a good mood. Um, and I got there and I was telling them, Oh, I'm not in pain. I'm fine. They made me all better. And I'm like, I'm hungry. So I'm sitting down. This has been like, what, 17 minutes maybe since I gave me the shot. My parents live just down the street from the hospital. And so we go in there and mom makes me like, heats me up a piece of chicken or something. And I like get my fork and I put my fork into my chicken and lift it to my face. And as I'm lifting it to my face, I like, I go, I don't feel right. And I, I like go unconscious. Like they didn't tell me that like in a few minutes that pill was like, I mean, that shot was like going to knock me out completely. Like I almost had to, like they almost had to take me back to the hospital. I banged my head because I wanted to That's dangerous. They should tell you. You poked your eye out. They didn't tell that. I don't know. I still, to this day, have no idea what that shot was. And I was conscious for 24 hours. (laughs) Almost like that. (laughs) They were like, James goes, well, they said it'd make her a little drowsy. (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't trust it. like the Vosnack that gave George Bangs and Father of the Rye Part 2, where Marlon Short's carrying him over his back. Like, well, here's no, the thing, like Jen. Very... I have to wonder, how much of it do you really think is just you? Like, not, like, I think no, you just have a different, I think you just have a different, you know, genetic makeup than the rest of us. Because I have to think, when you go <laughs> to your local hospital and, and they... Music- Please? Like, no, here's the thing. No. You know how they have a chart on you wherever you go? I have a feeling like it's like that Seinfeld <laughs> episode where your chart is kept in a safe somewhere. <laughs> no, no, no. They did. Ch- this is funny. They tried to give me a medic bracelet. <laughs> And oh. I have too many things wrong with me to fit on the medic bracelet. So I have to carry around, no, I have to carry around like this emergency, like card. <laughs> because I'm allergic to so many, like, <laughs> and like there's so many things that are wrong with me. <laughs> but you don't have the normal reactions. It's like if you give her codeine, she will bark like a dog for three hours. We don't know no, why. Like, my, my allergies are the dumbest. Like, I'm allergic to latex, which is a very annoying. And I'm allergic to Sudafed in aerosol form. Like, who would think of that? But I am. I've managed it. 
So, okay, before I go into any more detail, just shut me up. Let's talk about <laughs> Well, I have good news for everybody. Phil got here. He, he, he didn't know he was going to be here tonight, so he wasn't through with all the chapters. But the good news is, is we've covered so much ground already. Phil has finished all the chapters <laughs> for tonight's podcast. So thank you, Jen. <laughs> I played you like a violin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Can, oh, can what I just say it? I just can't get I don't it. know. It's out for 24 hours. <laughs> well, maybe it's just, it might have been just like 18, but I was I like, I just want to request that next time I have pain. Can you give me my dead kids? I want that. I don't know. I must have just been really tired. I mean, no, it may not I don't know what it was. It like, might have been a mixture. Like, was Harry even, like, asleep a for 24 hours after they poked his eye out? Like, Are like, they doing, like, drug, like, cocktails for you now, Jen? Seriously, they know me by first name there. Like, oh, what's wrong now? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Can you imagine if you came in with, like, an iguana stuck to your foot? Just trying to eat the ants. Oh, that's so mean. All right, let's get Oh, my God. Can I just say oh, that we think Equus is coming to Broadway in New York? What? With Daniel Radcliffe. No, it's not. Hold on. Do we know this for sure? Because you also (laughs) thought... No, it's not. It's You also thought Joe Rowling... Hold on. You also thought that Joe Rowling was writing a series of children's novels after book seven (laughs) about the Harry Potter characters. So let's just look... I thought that was true! I know, but we're going to get everyone to call Broadway, and quite frankly, they're going to get pissed at us. She is writing a mystery novel. It's not confirmed yet, but they're talking... It's in the talks. Like, watch the new interviews with Dan Radcliffe, and he is like... If it comes, if it's official, he's on board. And I'm like, yeah, you're making Harry Potter's coming to America. Uh, it's like a, it's like a smut fan's uh. dream come true. I'm so going. And then we can do our summit in New York. We can plan a puffle visit. Can you picture Jen like randomly? He's being interviewed by like Diane Sawyer, and all of a sudden you see like this girl being chased by an iguana. It's Jen from Puffle, and Dan like gets grabbed by Secret Service agents and thrown in the back of a car. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe has Secret Service now. I think if he heard he the Puff- will if too many if he heard the Puffle was in town, he might do. Yeah, yeah. He was, listen to this podcast. All right, we have to talk about uh, you're like none other. This is awful. This is terrible. We're not doing anything. All right. Uh, before we get going tonight, uh, a couple of quick things. We have voted in our fourth fanfic discussion starting uh, this November after we finish with a year like none other is Jen. The Shibok Project. Okay, now for people, now for people, now for people yes. to actually understand, it's the Shoebox Project. <laughs> In thirty seconds, tell people about the Shoebox Project. Oh my god, it's amazing. It's about the Marauders. It's about a Marauders pick, and it's so unique to all fan fiction, and everyone needs to go. And if you don't like, you know, it's it's slight slash, but it's it's a it's a Harry, I mean it's a James Lily fic too, so it's not like only slash or it's kinda like after the end and like there's all these different things going on at the same time. But basically it's not it's a story. I mean, there's a storyline, but in itself, it's more like excerpts out of the Marauder's life. And they're told in a series of pictures and uh, photographs and drawings and handwritten notes that have been scanned into the computer and letters and story. I mean, it's just this combination. And 30 seconds up. Okay. 
Well, it's fabulous. <laughs> I love how I would go on for 20 minutes about the iguana, but when we're actually talking about the show, we cut her off after 30 seconds. If that sounds good to you, you know, go to thepartofficweekly.com, and I'm sure you'll find a link to it somewhere. So we're going to start with that fic in November, and we are going to be opening voting on the Parfic Weekly Forum next month for our uh, fifth fic after that. So if you are interested and you have a fic that you want us, or basically really Jen, to desperately... Uh, and consider yeah. uh, register and at the find a Draco Hermione fic that's good. There's a reason yeah. we screen what Not people vote for, it. but yeah, all right. So go to the Parfic Weekly Have you Forum. Read their room. What is what their room? Their room. It's a Draco that's, Hermione. It's pretty good. Is it? Yeah. Okay, I want to. If you do like their room, out of like a hundred out of you know, for every hundred Draco Hermione fics, there's like two that are good. So yeah, their room is pretty good. Yeah. For example, Check if you're out. a fan of your room, go vote for it at the Parfic Weekly Forum. <laughs> so Parfic Weekly Forum, ParficForum.com, go vote. And that's all I have. You guys ready to get into the discussion today? I yeah. love this story. I yep. know you do, Jen. Uh, Jen, do you want to start us off tonight? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Are we breaking No, up? Phil can stop it, start us off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you tell us now that's happened. just mean. It's like... <laughs> Can I just tell you? No, my, my, I'm, doing, I'm doing a favor. We, you can be like voicemail caller Karen and be like, "I love the part where Harry got um he took the ride in the monkey." What did y'all think of that part? Did you catch that? <laughs> that was my favorite part. I have. There's hate. a monkey. Yeah, uh, yeah, Jen, you missed it. Sorry. <laughs> Jen can only say Spanish vowels. Okay, we're breaking eleven. <laughs> Sorry, Mexico. Okay, or Spain. Okay. Whichever. Jen, did you want to start us off? Um, I'll just talk about that I chose these chapters because I really liked the punchline where it ends in chapter 38. Did y'all all like that? <laughs> where it yeah. ends? I was like where wa- I stopped reading, where we stopped reading this week. I did it on purpose. Because <laughs> Why don't you such- tell us what it was? The Jen's cliffhanger evil. at the end of 38. Jen's okay. evil. Just, yeah, you know. I will say the last line in 38 ends um, with this. <clears throat> Actually, I'm going to read more than one sentence, but it it fits together. Okay. Dudley leaned his elbows on the table. Of course your spells won't work, he explained. Harry was supposed to be living on Privet Drive. We were his family, bad as we were at it. And the spell is a family thing, isn't it? His mother's blood and all that. Harry belonged with us. He had a right to be with us. This place is just a set of rooms to him. The blood dripped straight through that gooey magic thing because it saw that he didn't have any real right to be here. Snape stared at Harry for a long moment, his gaze piercing as he considered the argument. Then, without any warning, he shoved his chair back and strode for the flu, his robes billowing. His robes billowing. Curious, his the robes boys... were even billowing. <laughs> did I say boobs? <laughs> you did now. Continue. Oh, sorry. His robes billowing. Curious, three boys stood and followed. Snape threw a handful of powder into the fireplace, called for the headmaster, and waited till the man's head appeared in the flames. Then he had just one question. Albus, if you bring your considerable influence to bear, how soon can I be signing adoption papers on Harry Potter? Dun, dun, dun! dun, dun, dun. Yeah, like that, like, <laughs> I have to tell you, I love the chapters tonight. I, I, on some level, felt like that moment was, like, I don't know, like, here's the thing. Everyone who has read this fic or who knows, or has listened to this podcast knows, I hope you read the fic if you listen to the podcast, otherwise... Really, really sorry um, for spoiling <laughs> it for you, but I think everyone knows it's a Snape adopts Harry fic. So I think at some point during the fic, people saw coming the fact that Snape may go as far as to adopt Harry. 
So right. I, I don't think that was, but I, I think everyone had this preconceived notion that, you know, Harry and Snape would, you know, get trapped in an elevator and, and, you know, start off hating each other. And then, you know, they'd be eating mac and cheese together, like in that Seinfeld episode. And then, you know, they'd be playing table tennis and they'd be taking long walks on the beach and then they would, you know, become, you know, adopted family. I don't think, you know, anyone expected it to be like one of those moments where, you know, Snape marches to, you know, the bright red phone of the desk and says, get me the president. Like, it would just seem like this very, like, <laughs> it seemed like very, like, da, da, da. like, like 10 minutes before everything was fine. Oh, crap. The the spell didn't work. Yeah. I'm going to have to adopt the kid. <laughs> like, that was just the one. Like, like, it really, like, I think it's going to, like, let me even tell you this. I love the writing in these chapters. I think it's going to work out brilliantly. I, I, I'm curious about what's to come, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. I just felt like that was, like, it almost seemed like, uh, I'm trying to think of a good way to describe this. It se- which would, I should probably try and find a good way rather than a bad way, right? Um, it seemed, <laughs> al- yeah, it seemed almost like you're, you know, you're on a TV show and you've got a really good plot going and you're, and you're setting up next season nicely and all of a mm-hmm. sudden you find out that you're not going to get that next season, wrap up your plot now and all of a sudden, you know, like everyone makes up in the parking lot. It just seemed like, like, Flowing, 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 flowing. Crap, gotta adopt Harry. Like, that was my only thought on that. But um, I I just have to tell you, in these chapters, I love just the interaction between Draco and Harry. And I love the humor that she wrote into the plot. I love the way she wrote (laughs) Dudley. Like, like... And we talk about the this. pet comment. <laughs> I about died. Yeah. I th- well, I thought it was Fox at first. It's like Albus Dumbledore and pet. pet <laughs> like, yeah, I'm How like, kind of demeaning to Muggles, man. Well, I'm thinking about. I'm like, maybe it's Hedwig. <laughs> and then, like, because we were trying to figure out where Hedwig was, you know, in case he survived his suicide bombing attack on. You know, yeah, we still do, we still don't know, do we? Yellowstone <laughs> National Park. And then, you know, it's du- it's Dudley. I'm like, oh, oh, oh. And I felt like oh. I was the guy at the party who got the joke that everyone else got 25 minutes ago. And well, I have to admit, every time she writes Draco laughing hysterically, like I am laughing hysterically with Draco. I think we it's all knew pretty- that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was pretty much I'm a no brainer. Yeah, I think that was pretty I, much a no brainer. <laughs> I think I think the interesting thing and in kind of building on what you were saying, Ryan, is that I think everybody because I, I I think you're right. We we had all kind of suspected this was going to be a Snape adopts Harry fic. If not, Dan um, told us last week. So. Exactly, right. exactly. So so we all knew. <laughs> but um, the the thing was, I think I think you're right. I think everybody kind of expected it to grow into this relationship, which would culminate with the adoption. You know what I mean? Like once they finally learned that they really truly were, were, you know, in that way meant for each other, then mm-hmm. it would become a natural progression based off of that. But uh, it, it's, it, it was rather utilitarian at least. So it's kind of the thing where it's, a, it's almost like it's an arranged marriage and yet they're going, I mean, one would think as, as the story goes on, they'll learn to, to care for each other in that way. But as of right now, yeah, it's, it's basically, right now. Not it, that it's it's for a purpose. It's not because either of them necessarily wants it. It's for a purpose. So that 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 was surprising. Yeah, that that part was definitely surprising. I think we. I, I, I kind of thought with with ninety seven thousand three hundred and fourteen chapters <laughs> that by the time you know we got to to the to, to the last one, you know maybe maybe the story would culminate with that. Uh, but no, I mean, here we are. Like and, the uh, end. Yeah. yeah, exactly. End like, like that would be like the, the end result and that would be the natural progression of their relationship. Right. 
but but here we are, and it's kind of an arranged marriage. I just really feel like I should tell people this. I ran into an, an ex coworker of mine, you know, three years after I worked with her, and she looked great. She had lost a lot of weight. She seemed to have, you know, gotten over, you know, the the thing where I always suggested she wear a helmet around. And you know, she, she <laughs> I said, "What's new?" And she says, "I'm engaged." And I'm like, "That's wonderful. I don't really care, but I have nothing else to do, so I'll just talk to you for a moment." And you know, I said, "Well, what, <laughs> that's who, harsh." Who, uh, you, you had to, meet, you had to meet her. It was like watching. Just tell us what you really think, okay. right? You had to meet. Yeah, her. Like, no, I'm you're actually thinking to yourself, you know, I could probably just throw myself off of you know a, a mountain and have it be less painful than this. I'm like, well, well, <laughs> "Who is he? Do I know him?" She's like. He, he's wonderful. He's amazing. And he loves me so much. And if I don't marry him, they're going to deport him. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. And it just reminds me, it's like, you know, Harry needs, Harry doesn't belong here. It's like, dum, dum, dum. And the light goes on above Snape. You must adopt him. Like, I just, I, and I, you know what? I'll even say this, you know, kudos to Aspen. We've been saying for, four episodes now that this is a Snape Harry adoption fic and she actually managed to surprise me by having Snape want to adopt Harry. Yeah. So that's that's definitely now, uh, going against the mold. Now Jen, you said that you were reading this while it was being written? Yeah. Okay, how long she did you like have to wait for it. She's like, yeah. <laughs> how long did you have to wait for chapter 40? No, I'm this just was curious. a cool thing. Aspen was such a great person in that every Tuesday night there would be a new chapter. That's, and that's like you nice. would wait, it was fantastic. It was like waiting for a TV show. And as the chapters progress, they get longer and longer. And so every Tuesday, it was like you really waiting for something just fantastic, and um, a new episode of a TV show. Like I, I just that I would I would read my WIPs instead of watch TV. And um, <laughs> I'm such a dork. And you um, don't read fan fiction. Or like what language is it she speaks? I know what you say. <laughs> I know. The whip at the <laughs> But no, at the end, like I remember, and I have to use this example because it's exactly the thing that, that I feel. Like, do, okay, do y'all remember in the movie E.T.? Okay, everybody think back. Danielle's crying and, right now. She hates E.T. scared the crap <laughs> oh, out of Oh, really? Oh, I adore E.T. Well, anyway, there's this scene where um, Elliot, he, he, I don't remember what E.T. does, but he does something and he goes, ah, like he's so like, excited and thrilled and like in astonishment like i don't know he just does the sound and it, it makes me think of it but at the end of that like when when he goes I, where can i sign adoption papers for harry potter i was like oh my god and like there was nothing for a week and <laughs> but that was well, kind of the reaction well, well, actually this is possibly the stupidest question i've ever asked and for me that's really you know that's that's deepened down digging down to, to the bottom of the crate but we knew this is a Snape Harry adoption fic. I didn't. Okay. Now, was that because you just missed a staff meeting, or there was actually no earthly information <laughs> released? That no. At this point, I, I believe the summary. Let me just reread the summary. A letter from home sends Harry down a path he'd never have walked on his own. A sixth-year fic. This story follows Order of the Phoenix and disregards any canon events that occur after book five. Spoilers for the first five books. Have fun. Oh, she's That's good. the summary. She's very good. <laughs> yes. So at the end, I was like, holy crap, that's awesome. Jen swore for the first time in her life at the end I of I think Jeff so, and it was in college. I, I remember the exact moment. Though, if I was reading this fic and hadn't known from the beginning what was going to happen, uh, chapter 38 would have been the last chapter I read. <laughs> for really? sure. 
Oh, no, because this is when it starts getting really interesting. I know, which is, that's a sad thing. I'm glad that I know. So we keep reading it, well, and that, I have. I'm on, like, chapter 70 now or something. Oh, so. good. Well, I'm oh, glad God. you said that, because that... <laughs> Jen knows <laughs> chapter 70 apparently has gotten you a bad reputation. It's like the girl, you know, at school that everybody knows. that you're Like, oh, I'm hanging out with her. Oh, her. All right. All right. <laughs> well, please keep going. Muddle through it. Whatever no, problem no, no, no. is. I'm still gonna read I can't wait till we get to that episode and read up, everyone. Muddle through. See you back next week. I don't even know. <laughs> I haven't even looked and seen what chapter that is, but so many people have. No, no, no. Chapter 38 would have been the chapter I would have quit reading at. Okay, well, okay, I think good. That's, you have I'm to saying I'm yourself. at 70 now. Like, I kept reading. I'm saying you if say I you're didn't. Pretty, you're pretty hooked on it now? or Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would say that for okay. sure. Good. No, I awesome. can't quit now. I mean, there's only like, you know, 30 billion like chapters. The third of the way through it. I can't <laughs> there's only 96 chapters to go. Well, you know what? That makes sense, though, because think about it. I mean, if you're, if you love, you know, well, here's the thing. You had no idea, Jen, this was the Snape Harry fic when you started it. No, I didn't, no. Well, here's the, I guess for, I mean, the fandom seems to be very, uh, it's like hardened into into people's tastes. You like Harry Ginny. You like Ron Hermione. You like Sirius Remus. Like, people, or you're eclectic. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you're. you're well, but most people aren't, though. Uh, well, they're yeah. losers. No. <laughs> no, no, but I think what Ryan really is trying to say is that, is that most people. I mean, you, you usually have your your strong canon shippers, uh, it, you know, as it were, and then you have your kind of slash people, and those are kind of the two extremes, and the people who hover around the middle tend to be few and far between. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, too. I mean, you get into a zone of what you like, and you and you just, you know, you obsess over those types of stories. Now, like, right. I'm the type of, like, I, I, I said this when I started the podcast, and it's in our little Puffwa mission statement, and it's, we're trying to, you know, like, I personally want to read a Harry Hermione fic. I've never read one, and, you know, apparently, you know, they're wonderful. I have, but not by choice. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you didn't do this by choice. I paid you $20. I mean, that's the thing. I, mean, I think you, Meg just made her point. <laughs> I mean, I, I read one and thinking it was like a Ron Hermione thing, and then I got like halfway there, and it was not. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. I think I think people you're you're either open to it or you're not, or like I think many people with this podcast they consider themselves canon shippers. They, they you know Harry Snape, you know you just you you, you flip past that one, go to the next story. But okay. I think if someone like you know Jen or you know Potterfic Weekly or someone you know says you need to read this, it's wonderful. You'll you'll give it the benefit of the doubt, and maybe you want to know what happens to Jen next week, so you tune into the podcast and you stick around after you know the the, the you know the the animal attacks her and she you know rescues <laughs> the donkey from the railroad tracks and <laughs> and you listen. It's to the stro- worth it though. It's absolutely worth it. Yeah, well, that's exactly. But a oh, lot of people so don't. Happy to say that. Jen's sobbing uncontrollably at the moment. I am. Oh my god! I'm like the smile on my face is so bad. I never would have read this before. But here's the thing: you have to be prepared for it. It's like you can, like people, like we did this ourselves. We told people next week you're going to read chapters that are very graphic, and people brace themselves for it, and they were okay. There's something to be said for mm-hmm. people just getting a random story saying, "Read this, you're going to love it." And you're at the end of chapter thirty, and you're at the end of chapter thirty-eight, and Snape is like, "I will adopt the boy," and you're like, "What the hell is going on?" Here? Like it's just like 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 you I guys. Th- I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I'm gonna have to be right back. I just cut my finger on a credit. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I'm like yeah, my credit laughing. I was like breaking it into little pieces, and I li- I wish I could take a picture of my finger. Hold on, I'll be right back. This is so stupid. I'm laughing at myself. I'll be right back. Keep talking. 
Pack them next to yourselves. Uh, Phil? I think we just lost <laughs> Phil. Let's get I think we lost Phil. What are the freaking odds of that happening? That's like a 50 okay. to 1. I have to go to the bathroom, so this is probably good at time as any. Go for it. <laughs> Okay, like I have this credit card that I've cut up, like because you I'm cut yourself on your credit card. I did. Well, I cut it with scissors, and then I was like, and then I was just like, while I was talking, I was like bending it into little pieces in my finger, and like one was a sharp edge, and it just like stabbed the crap out of my finger. <laughs> and it bled. Oh, Phil. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Please cut that out. Hey, I don't want... hey Phil. Phil. Hi. I don't know what happened there. It must be the Canadian uh, high-speed internet. I thought we were being targeted. Jen cut herself in a credit card. Phil got kicked off the line, and Meg had to pee all at the same exact time. <laughs> it was the, uh, the perfect storm of uh, podcasting. Mike, what happened? What happened? What happened? Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, Chi wasn't able to join us this week, but I think I'm starting to see uh, one of the things that she probably likes about this fic, and it's something that I've kind of picked up on and, and, and liking uh, as well. The She, as, as anybody who's listened to this podcast knows, she is a shoot Draco first, ask questions later kind of a person in general. Yes. Not a big fan, uh, uh, you know, of, the, of at least the, the, the canon uh, version of Draco. And one of the things, she and I got into a conversation a long time ago in one of the earlier podcasts, I think we were talking about after the end, and she was saying that we, we were arguing that whether or not a person is bound by their environment when they're growing up or whether or not they have the ability to make choices which will rise them above their environment and above their situation. And most of the, of the stories, obviously, Canon uh, touched on it with the last book um, and, and after the end uh, you know, made some made some. Uh, choices in that direction as well. But most of those stories typically keep Draco as the Draco that we've all grown to know and hate. Mm -hmm. And this, this fic is actually one where he is making that conscious decision to change, to be something different, to not be what he was supposed to have been. And, uh, you know, it, it shows because, uh, uh, you know, once again, she, she was talking about this before and, 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 um, Dumbledore said it himself that it, it, our choices are what define us, not necessarily our environment or our abilities. And so here we have Draco who is clearly choosing a path that is not the path that was chosen for him. And it, it's a little hard for, for Harry to accept that, which, you know, makes sense, obviously, but, uh, I just, I found that interesting overall that he's, he's trying, I still, I still, at this point, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I guess I trust him. I guess maybe I've been hardened just like anyone else who's read the stories has over the, over the years that, you know, can he really be doing this for real without any kind of ulterior motive or, or what? Well, I so think we're supposed to be feeling that way. You're supposed to right. be we're, we're I don't trust him yet at this point. I have to say this. I actually do trust him at this point. Um, so do I. Maybe I'm a sap. I mean, I, 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 I hug my <laughs> mailman every day. You know, please. Don't, yeah, don't go by me. I, I, I love everybody. I, I, I mean, y'all don't think he's up to something <laughs> later on? No, like, I don't think that either. I, I don't trust that I trust him, but I trust him. Does that make sense? Yeah. That makes as yeah, much sense as it the does. explained versus unexplained mysteries of earlier in this episode. Um, I just immediately was like, okay, yeah, I believe him. And one thing to really look at this is, you know, when you're when you're judging a person, you know, we were talking about trust. When you, when you have a person sitting across the table from you and you decide, do I trust this person? 
one of the things that works for you is this is a real person. It's based in reality. You don't have to accept, you know, whether or not they're consistent. You don't, they're, they're a human being. So you just deal with anything you see from, you know, the predisposition that everything you're seeing is real, if that makes any sense at all. And one of the issues you have when you're judging a fictional character is he could just be poorly written. So when you look at, you know, the character of Draco and he starts off in these early chapters, you could look at him and say, this isn't believable. This isn't the character I saw in Order of the Phoenix. He makes, you know, wild jumps from that character, you know, and you don't immediately think, you know, well, obviously it's the same Draco. So obviously something has happened since last year. I mean, how often do you see, like, do you bump into a friend you haven't seen in five years on the street and be like, you couldn't possibly be the same person I went to high school with. You know, you must be, you know, like a, like a KGB agent or something. Like it, you, you don't do that. You, you as a person just accept, I had to bring it back to the Soviets. They're the only ones. We have to <laughs> oh my God. So, wow. So you, you have <laughs> Okay. Right there, Brian, you said KGB agent. I thought you said KGB Osh. <laughs> and I didn't know what you were talking about. I was like, yeah, you are a KGB. That's my new favorite phrase. I love the fact and that the not only did you love the phrase, it's already your favorite. <laughs> and he's already probably used it since, since I've said it. Phil, just so everyone knows, tonight is using the Canadian high-speed internet system. So there's some glitches. And again, to Canada, really sorry. And we've already pissed off the Mexicans. So we just Play have to move. Canada. We're going to have to move the show to like Iceland because like... <laughs> For the Canadians, we have to be on good terms. Oh, I love Canadians. Hold on, you're afraid of a Canadian invasion of the United States? (laughs) No, no, no. I have friends who are Canadian, though. They have a lot of really weird customs there. Vancouver is a very lovely place. Okay. Well, Phil's just saying that because he doesn't want to get the. They film Smallville there, and they film Battlestar Galactica in Canada. They film everything yeah. in Canada because of the tax. It's cheaper. It's, it's much a lot, of, a lot of westerns are filmed there. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. They drive really fast there. Okay, we have to oh. stop. We have to stop making fun of our good okay, friends. Draco. The Canadians. Draco. Okay. Well, okay, Draco. So, so here's the thing. Uh, my first reaction to Draco in these chapters, and last week when I made that very deep comment, I think I was really hitting on this. I was very astute in my observations last week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I was like in the beginning, he he's ultra nice, polite Draco, and all I can get in my mind is last year he's one of Umbridge's goons. It just Inquisitor right. Squad, <laughs> right? The Inquisitorial Squad. It just it seemed it, like it didn't mesh with me well at first, and my first reaction has to be, you know, I'm having a problem with the writing, and you know, or maybe the concept. And let me just. Before any criticism I ever make of this fic, I just want to say this. If anyone can sell this, it's Aspen. Her writing style really just, it, it, it's so well written, this fic, that I am willing to say right here, if I can't buy into something that she writes, it's because there's no way I could possibly believe it to be true. I really don't think that it's her interpretation or her attempt at it that is what fails. If, if anyone can do it, it's her, because I'm really that I, impressed with her writing. I agree with that, and keep that in mind. In the episodes to come, that I said that. <laughs> but let me. But I'm let me, saying that. But so let, let's look at Draco here. You know, we, we've been dealing with Snape for the past three episodes. Let's look, look at Draco. We need to believe as as readers that this is the same Draco from earlier from earlier canon novels. And if we right. can't believe that, you know, we, we, we give Aspen a slap on the wrist and say, okay, now that you've, you know, shown a real seam and you've really moved this character and, you know, kind of wedged this character into the character that you want him to be, how good of a job do you do with him from that point on? Now, let's take the first one. Let's see, you know, how well she merges, you know, canon Draco with a year like none other Draco. In the beginning, I was concerned because in the beginning, I really just, he, he didn't, he, 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 he seemed too nice. He seemed like, 
he could not possibly be that same character from the last book. He, you know, and, and here's one of the things acknowledged, you know, through the character of Harry is that this doesn't seem right. You know, he should be wanting revenge against me. At the end of last year, the last time I saw him, he, you know, I, I turned him into, you know, an, an animal and shoved him into a locker on a train. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm powerless and I have no wand. I'm blind. You know, I have no tear ducts. about that. I have no tear ducts. another good thing when she, like, reverts back to some canon. I love that. Well, that's – but that's the thing because that's what we're thinking. Because we're thinking that as the readers that this doesn't make sense. So I love that she takes our own arguments and throws them out there and then addresses them. And what I really feel like when you when you when you look at Draco and how far he progresses, she does many things. She uses plot. This is not the Draco from last book because something has happened. And if that something didn't happen, he may be the same Draco from last book. But what's happened is he's he's essentially turned against his father, and he's been cast aside. And there's 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 a bounty on his head. So that's the huge. only thing we don't know is why. Right, that's, that's exactly what I was just about to point out. And we got some hints during these chapters, but reading through them, I my first question was why, and then she kind of answered a little bit. I'm like, okay, but that doesn't really make that much sense. Either. So yeah, so we got a little bit, and I was satisfied for you know twenty. Because Harry's uh, instincts are so good, so well, you're. That's I agree with that. I was like, uh, okay. Well, not only that, it was the you know Snape made the realization that Voldemort is wrong. And he turned against, you know, Voldemort in in the bigotry, you know, of, of, of blood status because he is a scientist determined that Voldemort is wrong. You get the sense that Malfoy sees Voldemort as a fool. And, like, th- there's references to it throughout the chapter. There's references <laughs> to... Oh, stop laughing if I'm being prepared. This is weird to speak because I know and I'm like, okay. Well, he, it makes so much more sense, doesn't it? Yes, it so does. <laughs> the, uh, I like yeah. hearing Ryan is pointing out things that I'm sure that I have not picked up, though, so please no, continue. No, I think it's really cool. He's really, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's, I didn't catch it yeah, as I well like, as Yeah, like, he on really good. Yeah, so keep going. Ryan. I'm wicked schmutz. Well, what's going to happen is after the recording's <laughs> over, Meg and, and Jen are going to look at each other and be like, such a dumbass. He missed everything. No, oh, no, <laughs> no he totally caught on to things. I was like, whatever. Right, one one thing I'm yeah, catching was, on is. That's exactly it. I was just like, whatever. And, and you're like catching on to things. And again, that are, everybody, I also predicted that Snape would shoot Vernon dead in the middle of Privet Drive. So God knows. But at the moment, now. Meg probably understands a lot more, too, about what I was talking about in Aspen's writing style, that everything is kind of important right, this is what i caught and no one tell me if i'm right or not or no one tell our listeners if i'm right or not but i picked up the he sees voldemort as a fool he 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 is he is written as such a is such a smart cunning character that he, he he's always playing chess he's kind of like ron but not so annoying and he's looking 20 paces ahead and he anticipates sorry Mick, and he anticipates <laughs> that voldemort will lose because voldemort you know had the kid on you know, the little crucifixion table and still managed not to kill him. Voldemort's weaknesses will be his undoing and he needs to not be on that side. Plus he sees his father and he sees his father, you know, cowering next to Voldemort and getting patted on the head like a dog. And that's not for him. That's what I see so far as the motivation. And maybe there's a lot more to it. I would see that the second part of what you said is, is, is a big, is a big key. Okay. But 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 just to look at Draco, so we have we have the plot. We have that plot that happened that didn't happen before. So he needs Harry and he needs to stay on Harry's good side because he fears that Harry will gain such clout, you know, with Dumbledore. He'll be he'll be he'll be so powerful. He'll be the Dick Cheney of the Wizarding World and he will, you know, make sure all of his enemies suffer. So so 
Draco does not want to be on Harry's, you know, hit list. So he's he's re- Harry. Can I get you some toothpaste? Like he's he's he's, <laughs> he's working for Harry that way. So that explains some of that inconsistency I initially had picked up on. It's actually plot based. And when you look at Draco, I love the way that she writes this Draco. Now, is this the Draco from Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone, Prisoner of Azkaban, who you know calls Hermione in my blood? No, but you know what? Here's this is why I can accept Draco a little bit better than than Snape. Draco's a sixteen year old kid. You're supposed right. to be a moron when you're fifteen, then seventeen you're a little bit better, then eighteen you're a little bit like you're supposed to have these these massive shifts. I really detected the fact that Draco is a smart guy who knows what's going on. He's very intuitive and he doesn't like you, but he is smart enough to know that he may be wrong, and he's smart enough to not underestimate you. So I love the way that she writes Draco. He, 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 well, I'll say, I'm sorry. No, please. I just want to close with, he's not, and this is the other thing, Snape in canon is three-dimensional, Draco in canon up until Half-Blood Prince is very two-dimensional, and I would not want her to be completely, you know, adhering to the canon because he is boring to read. I love the Draco that she writes. He's he, and, and I'm sorry, Jennifer. I'm going to get off the stage in a second. One thing we always talk about this that you know Harry Potter is you know it's 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 a it's a children's book and it deals with some serious stuff. But it's a children's book and a lot of the characters are two dimensional in these books. Aspen is writing a very mature fic that deals with things that Joe Rowling never would touch. Her characters are going to seem different, and I'm okay with that because that's why I read fan fiction. Jen, floor is yours for half an hour. I just wanted to say that I think that Aspen writes any Slytherin like a person who is smarter than a Ravenclaw. Like I think she saw the Slytherin as cunning and witty and more intelligent than I think. I think people when they read the Harry Potter books, they think Slytherin bad, Slytherin evil, Slytherin mean. You know, just the yeah. bully. But I think she saw an an intelligence there. That although the Ravenclaws are kind of um, book smart, you know, they have good test scores, but the Slytherins are book smart and street smart and, you know, witty, but very proud. I mean, it's kind of, and I think she writes it that way. And when you look at it, as a Slytherin is also really intelligent. Yeah. I think it makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. It means a little bit more to me. Well, you get bored by the canon where the, where the Slytherins yeah. are all junior Death Eaters. And, you know, the, yeah, they're the, just the, stupid. And... Yeah, it's like the scene you saw at the end of Deathly Hallows where, you know, all the Hufflepuffs and all the Gryffindors and all the Ravenclaws turn against all the Slytherins. Well, the world isn't like that. I mean, that's too easy. Yeah, I mean, look at you know the the world that we live in today. You know, we have the terrorism crisis that's gripping the world, and everyone thinks you know it's Muslims everywhere are, are you know responding because all the terrorists are Muslim. Well, no, I mean you a bunch of terrorists on TV may be Muslims, but I'm sure a, a bunch of Irish people have frequently robbed banks. I mean, you 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 can't lump everyone together there you know there are stereotypes and some stereotypes are based on you know precedent and factual evidence but well but i mean up to this point whatever this is draco was a little ass yeah yeah i mean it's not this is something new i mean and it's good that we acknowledge that it's and we see through harry's eyes that it's something new and not sure we should trust it yet because that's just weird (laughs) i mean it's very clear uh from the writing that aspen wanted to make sure that this fic gave characters who kind of got a raw deal in canon a second chance in a lot of ways. 
And so there's obviously Snape and obviously Draco, but yeah. um, just you're right. Just Slytherin in general, I think she. It's pretty obvious that she kind of felt like that. That whole house got a pretty raw deal as far as the fact that you're that you're right, Ryan. They're all just kind of uh, portrayed as a as a bunch of, of mini Death Eaters. Yeah. And so she's she's trying to she's trying to, to stretch that a little bit and to show that there is more to them and that they can still be Slytherin. They can still have all the Slytherin qualities. That doesn't necessarily make them bad. You know, I mean, just like if you if you look at the forums, we have several Slytherins on our forums. Are they bad people? No, of course they're not bad people. They have qualities that when they took the test, uh, you know, they they came out as being more Slytherin than anything else. But they're still thoughtful, Slytherin. considerate. I'm sorry. I was half Slytherin, half Gryffindor. Really, Slytherin, Slytherindor. You're like Harry Potter. And so is Richard. <laughs> Which is scary because Richard's currently the head of Gryffindor House. What the? Hell? I tried to be. <laughs> He's a spy. Totally defends Snape at every turn. <laughs> and she's a Gryffindor, everybody. But, <laughs> but yeah, and and Richard really does. He's starring a debate club. But and a podcast. But um, this is one thing I actually emailed myself today from work. So to my employers, you know, sorry about that. And you know, I made the reference to you know when we we did sixteen episodes on after the end. So we we really picked up on the themes and we really like drilled them home in every podcast. One thing we talked about in after the end is it's a forty six chapter you know fic that's longer than War and Peace. If the characters actually sat down at the kitchen table and talked to each other and say, this is what's happening in my life, it would have been a four-paragraph story. <laughs> and it's because people don't do that, and they're idiots, and you go 20 right. years without talking to your sister, and you don't talk to your next-door neighbor because, you know, he, he glared at you one day, and you don't know why, and people do stupid, illogical things. One thing I really think about this story is that because people don't understand each other, so many of the same problems we started after the end are carried forward. Snape never understood Harry. He thought Harry was this egotistical, self-absorbed little twerp who looked just like his father, who, you know, Snape despised more than anyone else, even though, you know, James did once save his life, which may probably cause him to despise him more. How many times during these, you know, nine chapters for tonight did we read the line from Snape, e- I can't believe I ever thought you were self-absorbed because Harry is the exact opposite of that. You know, Draco. Okay, we hate Draco for these chapters. Now, because we're dealing with a mature fic and because we get in closer, you know, with a little microscope and we examine these characters more closely, you know, Draco had an awful childhood. We get to now consider that, you know, whereas in the canon, you know, it's not really relevant. You know, Harry had an abusive childhood. We get to consider that a little bit more. It's not that they were, you know, like the like the mustache twirling, you know, they took away his Nintendo relatives. We actually get to, to discuss child abuse and we get to discuss and we depression. And the glimmer of what we, what we assume Snape's home life to be. Yes. So now you see Draco and Snape and Harry around, you know, the dinner table and you, th- and, and, and Dudley too. And you think to yourself, you know, we never, you know, in, in, you know, we, in canon, this could not happen. Harry is a Gryffindor. Gryffindor is good. Slytherin's bad. Snape, greasy. Um, Dudley, <laughs> Dudley, bad. <laughs> Draco, you know, yeah. he's. When you think of Draco, you think of Tom Felton in the Philosopher's Stone when Quirrell so says good. that there's, you know, a, a troll in the dungeon and Draco does the freak to God thing. And, and, he's, oh and, God. He, and he's not oh, Lucius. So Lucius is intelligent. Draco is a little twerp. You know. But now we, we, you know, in in this story, they all share something, and they all misjudged each other to some extent, 
And you see that. You see that at the scene where Dudley is apologizing for never bringing Harry food when he was locked in his cupboard. And you see, you know, Draco realize that Harry has something in common with him. And you see Snape, you know, put his hand on Harry's hand because he realizes that, you know, Harry had this awful life and, you know, his, his memory of his aunt is that she died peacefully, whereas his mother was murdered. And, you know, they all share, you know, this, this, this darkness and it, it means more coming from a fic like this, whereas it ever would in the canon, because as much as you like Draco, you can't, and there's some level where you can't. And if I had to say, you know, there's anything that Aspen does with her Draco that wasn't in the canon is she makes him more substantive and he's not, the coward who, who right. he's never quite as evil as his father and he's never quite as strong and, and, you know, relevant as his father. He's a twerp who is grandiose and crumbles the moment he doesn't get everything going his way. This Draco is a fighter. He's a survivor and he is more willing to strategize. He's, he's a more interesting character. And if I have to fault Aspen for, for, for taking Draco and, you know, while changing him, making him more interesting, I'll do it. And you can decide whether or not that's a fault. But I enjoyed Draco a lot more here, especially since these are the chapters where we get the Gryffindors back in, we get Ron back in, we get Hermione and Neville back in, and we get to say, okay, we've been trapped with Snape for 38 chapters, we've been with Draco for, you know, the, the last 9 or 10 or 11, and how do we interpret them differently than we did before versus, you know, how Ron has always seen them and Hermione's already seen them. And it's interesting because you do understand the Slytherins a lot more and you actually do understand why Harry's friendship with his friends is falling apart. I think to some level there is, you know, some plot pushing them apart and that's unfortunate, but I do believe, you know, overwhelmingly in the reality that that relationship is collapsing. I, I think it is a little strong hand at points, but I, I do believe in that. And I'm curious what you guys, what do you guys think of, you know, Draco himself, his writing, and also of the way the, the Gryffindors are treated? No, I actually really agree with you. I, I love how Draco is written. I love that it wasn't suddenly like, hi, Harry, I'm Draco, and I'm good, and I'm your best friend, and la-di-da, let's be friend, brothers. It's not like that. And I, I think the key to Draco is that we get to see pompous Draco, but we also get to see Draco with a bit of vulnerability. I don't know if any of you have seen the new movie 310 to Yuma. I have. It's already out? No, but I saw you posted about it today. Oh, Oh, God, I want to see that movie. (laughs) It's really good. Well, there's a line in it, and uh, oh, I don't want to... Well, it doesn't spoil anything, but basically the gist... I mean, this is a running joke for for ages. Um, You know, he's saying bad things about this guy's mother, and he just whoops his butt. And he says, even bad guys love their mama. And it made me laugh because it was kind of, to me, it reminded me of such a Draco moment. Because although Draco is a, a jerk and, like, we hate him and we hate his dad and we hate, you know, Narcissa and we hate everybody. Um, he's still a kid with parents who he loves and has feelings. And I just like that Aspen writes that into them, into his character. It gives him so much more depth and layers. He comes across pompous because I think even in it's just been hinted, but already you can see a kind of um, sort of clingy feeling to Snape, to Severus as his godfather. You know, like he's proud that he has somebody. Yeah. And has I don't know, maybe not. Yeah. Well, you definitely see the. Um, yeah. You definitely see the. 
the rivalry, call the sibling rivalry, you know, they'll probably make Jen laugh, but, you know, between Harry and Draco when it comes to Snape, because it's like, well, you call him Severus? I call him Severus. You know, well, why, why does he let you right. call him? Yeah. It's like, and there's like little things that where they kind of fight over him, and it's, 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 inter- well, yeah, I mean, if Harry, like, and that's the focus of these chapters. Harry has never had an adult who's stuck with him, and that's, you know, he's, it's like someone who's, you know, been, dumped four times, you know, over the course of a year, you know, you start dating someone new, you're going to be nervous that, you know, you're going to do the same thing the last four did. Even look at it this way. I mean, you know, I mentioned earlier, I, I, I believed in this Draco a little bit more than I believed in the Snape. And the reason for that, I think it's obvious, you know, you're taking the most, you know, aggravating, mean, killing character from the canon, you know, definitely at the point we're reading this. And you're asking us to believe that he, you know, over the shores, over the course of, of one installment, one story, wants to adopt and love Harry. Now, you've really got to, you know, come out with the big guns to explain how that is remotely possible and plausible. And that's a lot harder than I think than saying that, you know, a 16 year old kid who's been a brat for five years all of a sudden turns into somebody you can be proud of because kids are supposed to be brats when they're 16 and they're supposed to outgrow that stuff. So I think it's a little bit easier for the character of, of, of Draco than is for the character of Snape. But yeah, there's definitely that, um, like it was actually amusing. I, I was cracking up reading some of these chapters with Snape and, and the writing was just so sharp. I actually could picture I was watching it. Um, as anything with Dudley in it, um, the comic relief yeah. scenes. I love uh, my favorite moment. The I vampire think- stuff. <laughs> Can we just talk about this? I love it. It's it's you know he's a vampire, and I love the line where I, is it Harry? Someone says, "Well, Snape doesn't know how to fly," and I like a picture was him flying out of Hogwarts at the end of Deathly Hallows. I'm like, um, little bit, but you know, it, like I I love that moment. I love the way it's almost written like like a like a house elf. He's like, I can't believe I called him a vampire. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Harry's just kind of pet there, there, oh. like, like it, like it was such comic relief. And I love, I, lo- I love the way that Snape handles it. I, you know, I, I am not a vampire. I mean, like, I love the snark that exists between Snape and Draco and Harry in these chapters. It gets better the further on we go. <laughs> you can picture like it's like an episode of The Odd Couple where Harry is trying to explain that Snape <laughs> is not a vampire and he starts saying, well, no, I've seen him eat and I've seen him in the sun and and, 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 and I believe it's Snape. It's like, all these years, you can't tell me, you know, two more, you I know. He walks out of his room with the crucifix. I was like, what? You can tell Harry, he's like, get back in there, get back in there, get back in there. You're making him nervous. Like, you just, you, you've got to love just, like, it reminds me of the scene. Well, it's Draco's reaction that kills me every it? time. Like, Draco just bursts out laughing. It reminds me of like it's like an I Love Lucy episode where Ricky and Fred try and make rice. It's just it's such there's such comic relief to these scenes. I thought I thought it was great, and I just love the way they're just handling they're just handling Dudley and how childlike du- Dudley is, and and you can just imagine like you know just they're really starting to gel as characters. She got a really good rhythm with them. Like for example, like I love the scene where Snape is grading his papers and Harry's helping him, and Snape is just. Just he's rolling his eyes like even Harry's like she's a second year and she can't spell potions and <laughs> Snape knows instantly who it is and you know you know he's like well, yeah. well 
What's the most annoying thing in, 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 in my essays? You make them all about Quidditch. Hermione, she uses big words for no apparent reason. Ron? Uh... Trollocs. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like I just love the interaction between the, and just like with Draco, and I think this is a really good point um, in the in the series of A Year Like None Other, in our little podcast series, to, to comment on how good of a job Aspen did. I said back in the first episode, let's judge her by how well she convinces me this is the same Snape. She she takes like with Draco a blended approach. She uses she uses plot. Snape was an idiot. He was blind. He didn't have the right information. And when I say idiot, he was an idiot in his ability to see information, but because of you know emotion and because of history to discard it. He himself is a brilliant person, but emotionally he's stunted and he just doesn't see the fact that Harry is not the person he interprets him to be. Plot wise, you have. Based on that new information, he come to accept Harry like he would any of his Slytherins. And he comes to see, you know, the bravery in Harry. The fact that Harry, even while being tortured while Snape is holding him down, doesn't give him up. And the fact that Harry wants to go through with, you know, the surgery to save his aunt's life, even though Snape thinks it's the worst decision in the world. And Snape comes to say, maybe Harry was onto something here. He took a a road I would not have traveled, and because of that, you know, he may have just saved, you know, for example, the Wizarding World. So it, it it can be a it can be a good thing. So I think there's definitely plot based reasons to why Snape has come to where he is now. There's definitely some heavy handed plots. I mean, and you need that. You need her to force them to, into the into the dungeons and lock away the Gryffindors, and you really need. You know, to, to, to get the, you need to have a plot that forces the, these characters to learn each other. And I think it's, it's a very, uh, rich plot. It's very, uh, layered, interesting, you know, fascinating plot. On some levels, there, there, there's points where I think it goes a bit too far. I think there's times where Snape is, is, is so nice and so, caring and so emotional that he does not seem like an emotionally stunted, stunted character. And I don't know if that's avoidable or not. There's times when the Snape, you know, I, I think to myself, he could never be canon Snape. But there's more often than not, there's times where he is so... He, he, he There are times when I can instantly believe that he's the same character. I love the part where Draco says... You know the reason, you know, he, he forces, he, he's so mean to children because he knows that's the only way that he wants them to fight back. He's the type of guy that, you know, he mm-hmm. wants you to hit back. He wants you to fight him. He, he's not McGonagall. He's not, you know, lovey-dovey. He's not Lupin. He's not going to get you ice cream. He's, he's, he's hitting you back just as hard as he I'm knows you can do. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. And when you, when you add it to the sarcasm and the snark and the, and the family history, I, I'll, I'll lay down my judgment here. I do think that Aspen succeeds. I think that it is a very tall order, but I think that she certainly succeeds, and I'll be the first to say it. I, I didn't think it was possible. When I started the story, I never thought it was possible. <laughs> and I, I there were moments... Let me say, here's the thing. She succeeds. She doesn't get 100. There's some scenes... You can't get 100 at this. There's some scenes that I rolled my eyes at. Yeah. To physical intimacy, I think that, that you know the, the, the ward cleverness, you know, does not go well with Snape. But I do definitely believe that <laughs> it is so well written that there there's there's a lot of desire. Yeah, <laughs> with like the you know the Victoria's <laughs> Secrets music what in did, the background. Um, what did y'all well, think of the letter that she does do? The letter that Harry, that Harry wrote. The, yeah, the letter that Harry made Draco write at the beginning. 
Yes. I, I was I was talking to uh, uh, Ryan before this. It's the worst sympathy letter ever <laughs> because he says he says it. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's just horrible because he says. Um, I mean, it's obviously he puts in all the stuff about Draco when he starts with it. It's just so horrible. First, he tells uh, Dudley how sorry he is, and then he goes into graphic detail about how his father must have died. He never intended to send the letter. But I agree. I mean, let's even right. take it. One of the things I think these the story does very well is it shows you what other characters think of you. It takes everything that we've considered over the over the past, you know, so many canon stories and fan fictions, and shows them from another angle, and shows you just how awful you must be considered. Okay, Harry's sitting here. He's obviously writing a letter, you know, about you know how Vernon Dursley died, a terrible death how Dudley will never get over it and he'll be thinking about his father every day and his life will be terrible and he's lost everything and oh my god and how was your weekend and it's just it's this terrible letter but <laughs> think about the fact okay Draco is sitting there writing the damn thing he doesn't know that Harry's not going to mail it I'm perfect I mean this is Harry's way of making sure that Draco knows what Draco did the full guilt trip and by the end of it when he obviously goes into uh describing draco i'm pretty sure that draco figured it out at that point maybe it maybe not at the beginning uh when it was directed more at dudley and what happened but you know as, as the letter wore on he probably kind of figured it out well i don't think I would he, at least like to think he would he no yeah, I'm, I I'm actually a little confused on, i can't not confused based on my reading of it just my ability to remember it but he now. What's the timing here? He writes the leather, and then is that when Draco runs back to, to Slytherin House and is like smashing on all the doors, screaming, you know, down with Voldemort? Yeah. <laughs> vote for Harry. Vote for Harry. Kind of. Yeah. 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 As he's wearing his, you know, like red sheets, and he's he's got the Gryffindor flag in one hand. Um, okay, so he definitely didn't get it. There. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, I mean, it's a Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, look, look at it this way. I mean, one thing that scene does show is Draco thinks Harry must be, you know, the biggest ass. Because he actually thinks that Harry's going to send the damn thing. No, he doesn't think he's an ass. He think, All he thinks about is, oh my god, look what I did. That's all Draco's thinking. Yeah, but after that, because there is reference to... Well, and, and this is the I thing... I caused I'm, all that. Well, this is the thing I'm reading into it, because we know how the plot yeah. goes, that later on, you know, Draco does make the realization that Harry never intended to say it, and then you have the scene where he says, you know, you call Slytherin's bad, look what you were about to do, look how you played with my emotions, and look how you're blaming me for what my father did. And it's, it's a scene that I think really shows... That and it's the thing that you keep getting, you know, beating over the head. You can't judge someone by what someone else did, even if they're, you know, the parent. You know, sons are not responsible for their father's actions, and fathers are not responsible for their sons' actions. Everyone has, like Phil said earlier, everyone has a choice. But when you have Harry here, like, think of how. Okay, look at the scene from Draco's perspective. Assume for the moment that Draco's right. And Draco is actually, you know, he, he steals Harry's wand back and he is going to attempt to do whatever he can to turn Slytherin, you know, for the light. And he literally, he may be looking out for his own skin, but he's smart enough to know that he needs to go this way. So let's assume for the moment that Draco means Harry no harm and that Draco is a good guy. Look how Harry treats him here. He's blaming Draco for every single thing that, his, that Lucius has done. He's forcing Draco to absorb the guilt that Dudley's parents are dead. Harry has a choice, and Harry goes through with that. And, you know, he never gets really called, and no one ever finds out that he did it. But 
you know, it's just, it, it, like, think of what Harry does to, to, to Draco in this, in this pick up until now. And it does feed into that stereotype. You know, you had the scene where, you know, Ron comes into Snape's quarters and the first thing that Ron says is, you know, how's your tongue, Dudley? And in all the scenes we get of Ron, he's, Yeah, I thought that was rude. Yeah, but think of Ron, though. I mean, how often is Snape the, the greasy git? Like, what if we found out Snape's mother just died of cancer that morning and Ron's calling Snape the greasy git? You're never going to think of the fact that, you know, Ron's being insensitive until you find out that Snape's had a bad day, but you as the reader never think that. So I think it's it's really interesting because it really provides that alternate perspective on the character. And I just, I, I, I don't know. I just, although I will agree with Phil, Harry, you know, if he, he if he intends to actually write these for a living, he never should publish sympathy cards. It's just awful. I don't think this letter was about Harry at all. It wasn't about Harry being mean. It wasn't about Harry. All this letter was was for Aspen to show us the transformation that Draco is making and that this just reiterates that he's actually good, especially the line that he says, um, points, Draco gasped, Merlin's balls, you think I give a flip about points? And um, I think that line right there is a huge uh, moving point for Draco. Well, it is, too, because Draco's Draco's not... And this is something you see in canon, too, and it's interesting because it wasn't around in canon when this was written, but Draco isn't a killer, and he thinks he led to, you know, the death of Harry's uncle, and... Yeah, like, he doesn't care if he loses 100 house points. But I do disagree, though. I really do think it's about Harry, too. Because Harry, you know, as you see, Harry was wrong. Draco had nothing to do with it. Draco took no part in, in, in Vernon's demise. And he forced Draco to think that, and he is responsible for Draco essentially, you know, having the... Well, I think he's showing Draco that every action has a consequence. And your action was an evil one. Well, Harry's, you gave them at the address. It doesn't matter that they already knew the address. But Harry's, it's the fact that Draco took it to his father with tr- the intention of doing that. True, but Harry also had mm-hmm. the intention of strongly hurting Draco. He wanted to rub Draco's face in what he had done, and he could have quite possibly, you know, to, to Harry's knowledge, he could have, you know, forced Draco back into the enemy slot. He, you know, for you know, based on what he did, Draco alienated himself from all of the Slytherins, and, you know, he he could have greatly upset Draco for no reason. I mean, did he give the address to his father? Yes. Did his father use Draco's information to kill Vernon? No, he already had it. In 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 my opinion, the, this is Aspen's way of showing us as the reader that when you are brought up in a certain way and that way is is not good that you get that expectation put on you no matter what and so it's really i think this is a a really pivotal moment to kind of establish draco's character moving forward because he's this character who now suddenly has no affiliation with the life that he knew and nowhere to fit in in the life that he's chosen and that's what I really think it's about. It kind of shows the, the solitude that Draco now has, where he's come over to this other side, as it were, and he wants to help Harry, but he's not accepted there either because of his reputation and because of the things that he has said and some of the things that he has done. And at the very same time, he has left the life that he knew all those years. And not only has he left it, but there is literally a price on his head 
yeah. uh, to, to, for, for him to be killed by his father and apparently the entire Slytherin house. So it's pivotal in that regard in that it shows that even though he wants to change, wants to, to grow, when you've spent so much of your life a certain way, very hard for people to accept it. And th- this is kind of a crude analogy, but if you remember George Wallace, who was the governor of um, Alabama, I believe, yeah. um, he gave the, the famous segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever speech. And he was very, very vehemently uh, uh, opposed to, to uh, you know, uh, racial equity in any regard. And at a certain point in his life, he had a change of heart. And he wanted the the people who he had ostracized and, and outcast all those years to to join up with him and to accept him. And a lot of them did, to their credit. A lot of people did. A lot of people chose to accept his you know, new position in life and his new stance. But a lot of people did not because he had spent so many years being so vocal against it. Uh, you know, when you do have that change of heart, it can be very difficult uh, to... To have to be in that position to say, well, no, I'm I'm not that person anymore. I've changed. I'm growing. I've I've made a decision to go a different direction. When all these years leading up to it, you you've you've lived a different life, or at least that's what the perception is. Even if that was not the case with Draco, because we kind of learn about Draco that he's not really an evildoer. You know, I mean, he hasn't at least to this point he hasn't done anything really really bad. He's he's been involved with things, yes, but as far as him making conscious decisions, I, he really hasn't done anything. So that's that's why I think this is kind of that pivotal moment to show Draco from the perspective of somebody who is truly alone. I mean, we, we, we read these stories, and typically speaking, Harry Potter is the solo character, or the character that is isolated, the character that doesn't really have a place where he fits in, doesn't really have... Uh, you know, a, a history or, or a family or those other things that, that everybody else seems to have. And here we're looking at Draco, and here he is with literally nothing. He's living in a dungeon. He has no family anymore. His family wants him dead, mm-hmm. and uh, the one person who he's trying to help, trying harder than, than anything to prove to that he really isn't this evil person, uh, literally says, I absolutely hate his effing so there you are. I think that it's really interesting that Aspen writes. I think she really incorporates the, the thing in the Sorcerer's Stone where Harry sits and the hat put, is put on his head and the hat wants to put him in Slytherin and he chooses to be put in Gryffindor. And I think she really emphasizes that Harry is has more Slytherin in him than I think Joe writes him at times. And I think this scene is a perfect example of Harry showing a bit of his Slytherin side as well. Like, I think that's important that we acknowledge a little bit there. Oh, he's totally playing Draco, and he's totally using Draco, and he's doing it because it makes him feel better, and he's doing it because he thinks that Draco really needs to understand this. But Harry does have a choice there, too, and Harry does have to live with the consequences of doing that. Now, the consequences, you know, may not fall on his head. He may not suffer the consequences, at least not yet, but it was definitely an indication of something that I think is strongly reinforced throughout this fic that, you know, even the good guys do things you're not proud of. And maybe you shouldn't be so fast to, you know, point fingers at the Slytherins because maybe on many different levels, you know, the, the Slytherins are just as human and just as flawed as we are. You know, there's continual references to uh, Professor McGonagall's 
um, you know, style of, of running Gryffindor House. And Harry even acknowledges, you know, gee, the one time I went to McGonagall, she didn't even listen to me. And she, she charges into Harry's dormitory and takes all of his clothes and tells the students for reasons passing understanding he's living in the dungeons and, you know, comes to visit them once in, 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 in the hospital wing. And he, he, you see Harry look down on McGonagall, which is something you don't see in canon. It's McGonagall. She's awesome. Who doesn't like McGonagall? And, you know, there, there are, there are moments when, when, when the canon characters don't appear to be accurate, but they do appear to to be more human. And there's the moment where Draco even thinks to himself and, and even says it, I, you know, I may not have done that to you. You know, if could you imagine if, if I had forced you to think that you were responsible for someone's death? You know, ju- you know, juvenile pranks are juvenile pranks, but that's you know an awful thing to do. Look what the look what Peter Pettigrew did. Look what James did to 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 Snape when he was younger. I mean, the, the Gryffindors are not automatically good guys. Look what Ron does. The first thing he does is insult Dudley, and the first thing he does is not even consider the fact that maybe, you know, there's more to Snape than he believes. And maybe that's justified based on the way that Dudley and Snape acted before. Or maybe it's that Ron is a closed-minded jerk. And, you know, I, I think it's a fair argument to have. Ron is not a closed-minded jerk. Okay, problem solved. <laughs> yeah, we have our answer. I think what should be pointed out, too, is that, and it's even in canon if this is true, is that Ron and Hermione, to this point, were Harry's family. You know, right. they were essentially Harry's family. And so, if you want to talk about being overprotective or narrow-minded, like, even coming from a mom's point of view, you are like that sometimes. Oh, if yeah. somebody hurts your kid, and I'm sure, yeah, you understand this. If somebody hurts your kid or if somebody says something negative, you will hold that against them for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, so there's not, so for Ron and Hermione to be like, Snape has been cruel to Harry, Draco has been cruel to Harry, and then all of a sudden he loves them. I mean, that, to the, it would hurt them and also alarm them. So it's a totally human, natural thing for them to be like, no. You know, you need to take a step back. This is not right. And for them to try and talk Harry out of it, I think that is totally natural because they're his family. They're not just his friends. They're also his family up until this point. They're all that he's had for that. Yeah. And you know what it is? It's one of those really, it's so human. And so much of what Aspen does here is so human. Think of... You know, you have the you you have the core group of friends you've always had, and you go away to college for a year, and you know you you, you get additional perspective, and you come back, and all of the old group are exactly the same; they're in the same mindset, and you just cannot relate to them anymore. Look what Harry has gone through in this fix so far. He has been tortured, you know, in the most inhumane way possible, and you know he has learned that Snape is not the person he was now. Don't judge this based on how well of a job you think that Aspen may have done or the believability of the plot, except for the moment that Snape is not the person that you thought he was because he didn't think you were the person that you actually were. And, you know, there, there, there was blindness and there was lack of communication between people and people just didn't want to understand each other. And now you're at the point where people have taken this new knowledge and they've used it to, to come together. So you learn that Snape is someone who, unlike McGonagall, unlike Dumbledore, unlike Lupin, you know, unlike, you know, some of the Gryffindors, will always be there for Harry because he considers Harry worthy of that. And he is someone who will always treat Harry, 
you know, by, like we say in these chapters, he will push Harry. He will push against him. He will not say, good job, Harry, you know, here's some ice cream. He will say, that was a stupid answer, give me another one. And he forces Harry to do better. And you have, you know, like the character of Draco, who in these chapters, he he isn't Harry's, like Phil said, he's not Harry's completely loyal friend who will always be there, always has been, always will, does not care what anyone has to say about it. He is not, you know, the... the the, the, the epitome of blind worship. He's someone who says, you know, that, okay, that's full of crap. That's full of crap. Ooh, I never knew that one before that you were locked in the closet as a kid. And he's someone who treats Harry not as, you know, someone who's known him forever or liked him forever or, you know, someone who you was worthy of that respect. He makes Harry earn it, you know, on some level. But think of, think of how this works. Think of if you're a person who gets and garners new perspective on something, anything. And, someone else doesn't, how infuriating that is, that, that, that someone will not open themselves to the fact that there's nothing new there. I think that's what's human about, you know, the Gryffindors in this. Okay, you're, you're Hermione and you're Ron, and you know, Harry has to go somewhere, he, you know, for, for one thing, he goes off with Snape for a few days, we don't know why. And he has to have a sur- he has to have surgery. But he won't tell us why. And he's siding with Snape. Won't tell us why. And Snape is threatening to obliviate Hermione. And Harry, you know, defends Hermione. And Harry goes away for a while. And then we find out that he, you know, is very ill. He's going to be out of school for a while. And then we find out that he's in the hospital wing, and he's been tortured. And you know, he's he's very close to Snape. Snape's the only one that can touch him. And now he's moving to Slytherin for a while. And he's living with Draco. And he's living with Snape. And you go there, and you see Harry, and he is, you know, on better terms with Snape than he's ever been. And he's on better terms with Draco than he's ever been. And yeah, on one level, you're going to be like, Harry, I've seen the cult shows on TV. This is how it all starts. You need to listen to me, Harry. Do not listen to what they say. But on the other hand, if you think about it, they don't really say they don't really open themselves to the realization that maybe there's more here going on. And they don't stop to consider the fact that maybe, maybe, maybe there's more of the Draco than we ever thought, and there's more of Snape than we ever thought. I can't blame them for that though, because no, how because it falls into that being like his family again. You don't stop to think that maybe this is a good situation for him. You just move into that protective mode. Take, you know, American politics for a second. If you're a hardcore Democrat, you don't like George Bush. And George Bush could single-handedly cure cancer. He could solve the deficit, a plethora of things. And you're not going to care because you've already prejudged him. Right. And there's some people out there, some people out there who actually say, you know what? I think everything you've ever done in your life is crap. If you do something right tomorrow, I'll give you credit for it. And there's some people who just think that way, and there's some people who not. Ron is not the type of person who thinks, hmm, you've been an ass every day, but tomorrow's a brand new day, and you have the opportunity to turn your life around. And Hermione is the type who always thinks to herself, you know, like a mother, like, ooh, is that a good idea? Slow down, don't go too fast, don't think this, don't think that. Well, like, she's she's who's very much... has been Harry's mother to this point? Right. Maybe Molly a little bit? Maybe? But, she's but other the mother. than that, yeah. Hermione has been the one that's been there saying, no, I don't think that's a good idea. You know, she's the one that's seen him go through all these things. I think that she really does feel like a mother to him. And well, she sort of feels like she's being replaced. And no mother likes that. But she does. But think of, but that's the thing. Mothers don't think, in, in, and I'm talking to a mom right here, so tell me if I'm wrong. Mothers, I would say, tend to come at their children. You know, think of Hermione for a moment as, as Harry's mother. 
you come to think of your children almost in a defensive way. Make sure, you know, the two-year-old doesn't hit his head. Make sure that right. he's not playing near the electrical sockets. Make sure, maintain the status quo. <laughs> You're not thinking to yourself, hmm, I need to find a way to get my kid to climb the really highest tree in the yard, because that will really no. lose his self-esteem. So, you know, Harry is standing here, you know, literally saying, Draco isn't as bad as you thought, Snape isn't as bad as you thought, and Hermione's not saying, wow, this is wonderful for Harry's self-growth. She's saying... Yeah, I'm so happy for him. Yeah, no. you're, like, like, you can't touch people, and you're living with, with the guy who thinks I'm a mudblood, and I don't care if <laughs> right. you like them now. And if it was up to me, I'd lock you in a room and you'd never leave again, ever, and you'd just be protected and that'd be it. <laughs> Take your shiny blue pills and you'll feel better. I hope blue right. pills... Viagra are the blue pills, aren't they? <laughs> yes. Oh, I don't think Hermione wants Harry to take them. Uh. <laughs> okay, that turned into like a a family, then incestuous, then Harry. It degraded awfully quickly. I just cracked the story right open. I gotta oh, tell you, I think I've solved everything. We, we, we've been down this path before, if you recall. Let's, uh... Oh, no. Remember, there are spells that can take care of that. Okay, backing slowly away. <laughs> backing slowly away from the Harmonians. Slowly backing away from the Harmonians, getting back on track. But no, I really think that. I'm not going to say that. But... But I really do think that. I think that there's a lot of um, realism in here. There's a lot of... And that's how life works. How often do you accept something that you didn't accept before and no one wants to buy into it? Because It's like the guy who hates uh, magic tricks and all of a sudden he sees a really great one and wants to become a magician. Oh, you hate those things. And, and they don't consider the fact that maybe you've had a change of heart and it's frustrating. It's frustrating when people don't take you seriously. And it's frustrating when people don't consider the fact that you know what the hell you're doing. And I think what overcame all of my concerns about this fic and what really demonstrated to me that this was, if anything else, it was a very well-written story was that it, it, it is real to me, you know, that Harry is a person who needs to be treated like a human being. He needs to be treated like, like an adult. He needs to be treated like someone who has a role in the decision-making process. He needs to be treated bluntly because, like the character of Ron, there are days where I want to beat Harry over the head with you know, <laughs> just for his sheer lack of common yeah. sense. And, right. and the only ones who will do that to Harry are, you know, in, in this story, the people who don't you know, not worship him, but the people who don't, you know, from the beginning love him. They may come to love him because of what they learn about him, but they start off from the perspective of you need to earn it, you need to own it, you need to do it, and, you know, we're not going to coddle you, and your magic's not going to come back, Harry, your magic's gone, you know, you you can tap into your dark magic, you can, you, you it's going to be really hard, but you can do it, and I'm not going to tell you, oh, Harry, find your inner self, and everything will come flooding back, and you have Draco trying to piss off Dudley enough that Harry will strike back and use his magic, and you, and you learn that, that Draco would be cursed by Harry in an instant if it meant getting Harry back on his feet, and you have Snape, who is the type of teacher that, you know, will, will really be hard on his students, because he wants his students to fight back. Now, that, to me, makes sense. But, but think of that for a second, and let's look at it from the other way. 
no matter how much, like, okay, Snape says in the story that I didn't want, like, I've never considered the fact that, you know, I'm just a bastard to my students because, you know, it's an excellent learning, you know, method. I found out over the years that works well, but that's not my motivation. Think of what Harry, think of what Snape has done to his students over the years, though. He has been a very cruel teacher. Yeah, and not just, not just, like, mean, like, tough love either, like, Yeah, I mean, that's the level where you really can't buy into the transformation because no matter, you know, Aspen had, I would imagine when we ask her, Aspen had a goal in mind when she wrote this. She wanted to tell story X. She wanted to tell a story of of Snape becoming, you know, Harry's adopted father. We want to tell a story of Snape becoming a guy who, you know, was misunderstood essentially and had it within him to be, you know, you know, high caliber person just who harry needs in his life the problem with that story is that's not what joe rowling ever intended and even if you look at how canon worked itself out in the end there was no basis for him like what she tells is she tells the story of a snape who's just misunderstood who doesn't get his students who's capable of greatness but doesn't show it and really and he and he does want his students to do well and he does want to be effective and he's anal retentive and you know she has her her snape in her mind it's not the snape from canon and no matter how well she does, she's not going to get the Snape from canon. So, in order to... Well, because Snape in canon well, is harsh. It's her take on the Snape from canon. But there's some things she has to ignore. There's some things that canon well, Snape yeah. does. And, you know, that's just with anything. That's yeah. fan fiction. It's like well, welcome, you, you know. Yeah, it's like when you watch a TV show and, like, in the first season, you know, the lead character talks about the time his father died. Or hints of the fact that, you know, my father near the end, you know, was very strong. And then, like, five years later, they're like, you know what? We want to do a subplot with this guy's father coming to the to the, to the city. And, you know, this whole thing with his father and his past. And someone's like, well, back in the first season, we said he was dead. And they're like, yeah, it was a throwaway line. We're going to ignore it. Because we think this plot line is so important, we're going to forget about that. It's an inconsistency. Her Snape is not sadistic. And her Draco is not a coward. And in canon, they were. But you know what? You have to accept that. It's built into the premise. If you want this Snape, you have to ignore the little you know, inconsistencies between canon and between well, here. And in some ways, she does take us from A to B. So it's not just like she just threw it at us that, okay, this Snape is nice. Bam. I mean, oh, yeah. she, She's, she worked for it. Yeah, I and, mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I would really like to talk about the plot a little bit. Here. <laughs> 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 the what? I'm sorry, there's a plot? <laughs> Jen, take it. I mean, well, no, I mean, I'm not, I just think it's, I think this is interesting that what's going on in the story as well as the characterization. Do you, do you, did y'all find, do y'all find the plot intriguing? I yes. mean, I find it just as crucial as the characterization. And, and I think it's neat that she does the characterization through the plot. We find out more and more about the characters by what's going on. Obviously. Yeah. I think it's not, it doesn't, ring to me is convenient. I was so afraid, and I've said this before, I was so afraid that Ron and Hermione would just get sick of Harry and Snape would take him in because he had nowhere else to go and and Draco was there because, you know, he's the wacky next door neighbor and they would discover that all they need is love. Da, 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 da. Like it's, it feels like like a little like story. that to me, though. Yeah. Well, still, like them stuck uh-huh. in the dungeon still feels a little like well, no, it makes sense. I mean, okay, Harry. It makes sense, right? But it still feels a little convenient. Sometimes. Harry is a wanted man. Draco is a wanted man. They can't go anywhere. It's it's the it's the okay. Let me let me say this. It's the it, premise. It's the 
Yeah, it's the premise of, you know, the two evil enemies are stuck in the in the elevator together because of an earthquake. Is it convenient well, they were in the elevator? Yeah, but you know what? Earthquakes happen. I mean, it's not right. that... It's just a, well, yeah. it's like the premise of a smut fic when people are, like, deserted on an island together. Well, there's a little bit of a gap between deserted on an island. I mean, it's not like Boy Meets World where they all go to college and the same teacher becomes I the principal. I love Boy it's, it's, World. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not like, you know, Mr. Feeny is <laughs> always I, their teacher and follows them through their I love musical 1776. I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> Sorry. No problem. <laughs> you know, it's not, that's not the purpose of this. That's not the, it, 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 is it convenient? Sure. But you know what? She makes it believable. It's her story. Okay. And it is necessary. I will agree that it is necessary for Harry to be away from the influence of Ron and Hermione to warm up to the idea of Snape and Draco. As but the reader. It's still, it, exactly. But it is still necessary I mean, but that still makes it convenient. She still did make it that way, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. And but that basically cuts off, hit off his connection to Ron and Hermione. I mean, essentially. She, but look how she does it. She could have done it in a way where they just got sick of each other, where they have a fight, where they, you know, and they ha- never talk again. Ha- Harry and, made a right. comment about Ron's, you know, maroon shirt, and he told Harry to piss off, and they never talked. And again. then and Harry hit on Hermione, and Ron was like, "No way!" No, 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 no. Ron, fo- Ron found, <laughs> Vi- Ron <laughs> found <laughs> Harry's Viagra in her. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like it's, it's <laughs> can't no- do this to my character. Like, no, <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't that. I mean, here, in, in, and this is, I think, one of the strengths in it. It's very reserved. You have okay. Snape and Harry go, essentially go away for the weekend together in the beginning of the story. They go skiing in Vermont, and they come back and they form an understanding that, that because of that, Harry... I, poor Jen. I, Aspen's laughing. Jen is in tears. And, you know... Okay, now they come back, so there's there's the seeds of change planted in Harry, that now when Ron insults Snape, Harry takes it a little bit personally. And when, Sna- when Harry sticks up for Snape, Ron takes it a little bit personally. So there's a little bit of a wedge in there. And then Harry goes to Grimmel Place with Lupin for a few months. And, you know, he comes back and he's injured. And Ron and Hermione, because here's the thing. My mother just went on vacation for a weekend. When she came back, she was really irritating me. Because I had the weekend away from her. And now she came (laughs) back. And I'm like, oh. No different from the week before she left. But now I'm like, oh, my God. Like, when you don't have something for a while and you get attacked with it. It's like, like you don't care if you go to work, but you don't want to go to work the day after your vacation because it's like, you know, it's it's like getting thrown into a pool of I feel of like my kids when they've been babysat like a day. Yeah, it's just, exactly. It's the same thing. Or it's, <laughs> like, it's, I'm like, gosh, you guys whine a lot. I didn't realize this before. Or it's like Jen's dogs when Jen comes home at the end of the day. Oh, my God, it was so quiet. Now she's getting attacked by ants. What the hell is that exactly. under the porch? And there's just one. But Jen just missed the fact. The giant iguana. The giant iguana. Yeah, but yeah, I mean that. I mean that makes sense. So now you have, and, and here's the thing. I love the point where Harry says, "Thank you for letting my friends visit more often," and, and, and Snape nods his head. Okay, this isn't you know Harry and Ron, you know, and Hermione are separated from each other permanently. They were separated from each other for what, like a couple of weeks, and then they got to come down and visit. But because of the changes that have happened with them, they, you know, he could go up to Gryffindor Tower for a week now, and I honestly believe that he would, you know, he, it would not be the same because they have changed, because these little seeds are planted. You can go, you can live at home for eighteen years, go away to college, come back after six months, and be a different person. 
So I think that's believable. It, it was a very reserved plot because they didn't need to do the whole Harry is banned from seeing Hermione and Ron. It's not like Hermione and Ron didn't want to see him. McGonagall kept them away, and, the, and you know they, they don't know they couldn't find their way back. And, and you know, the, the, well, the it kept it realistic. You know, it yeah. made it so people like me who are you know mostly who read canon fix or at least you know fix that stick with canon more. I made it more, to- more like okay, well, because I really feel like those of us who read mostly traditional canon esque type fix, this makes it easier, easier to handle that Ron and Hermione aren't just gone. And while I still have some issues with their character characterization at some points, at least they're just not like like Aspen said last week or the week before. They're not- Hermione doesn't charm herself into a book and disappear, you know. Yeah. So I'm glad they're still around. We were just talking about Ron and Hermione and, and how it's, it's interesting that they are kind of the more peripheral characters and oftentimes the irritating characters, the mm-hmm. characters that kind of come in and, and, and screw stuff up when, when things start to be going, seem to be going well. So in a lot of ways, it's a role reversal. I mean, we've got these characters that are the traditional annoying characters, Snape and Draco, and then eventually even Dudley, um, who are kind of suddenly becoming the, the, the characters that everyone likes and everyone enjoys. And so, I mean, obviously I think it's pretty obvious that that's what Aspen was trying to do. And I think in order to push that a little bit further, she kind of needed to make Ron and Hermione, the characters, and I wouldn't call them annoying characters, but the characters that um, are serving against the building of characterizations uh, for these, for, you know, Dudley and Draco and Snape, they're kind of coming in and trying to, in, in their own subtle ways, they're dissuading Harry, or at least attempting to dissuade Harry from, from learning more about these other people and, and, and growing uh, to like them and seeing them for who they truly are. So it's, it's an interesting role reversal. I mean, because, you know, obviously in canon and in a lot of the other fics that are more canon-esque, Ron and Hermione and uh, uh, Harry are kind of the trio, and and they're always together. And there's there's not a lot that comes in between them. And here we have something coming in between them because, in a lot of ways, Harry is growing, and Ron and Hermione, not as much. You know what? There's nothing in here, and it's interesting because this this is obviously written before Half Blood Prince and definitely before Deathly Hallows. There's a lot in here that. Everything feels natural. All of the re- reasons for why the trio has to be separate, all the reasons for you know the angst, and all the reasons for the plot, everything feels natural. And when you think of it, my complaint reading this was, you know what? If this is the trio that would die for Harry, the trio that would give anything to help him stay alive, and you know, friendship and loyalty and all that good stuff, and and, and, and this is the trio, the Trinity. This is the this is the you know the big three. You know, don't you think it's, like, at least this is my reading it, don't you think it's odd that, you know, he's living in the basement, you know, with the weird guy, you know, with the greasy hair, so now they're not going to visit them anymore? And that didn't make sense to me. And then, obviously, there was some plot reasons why they didn't visit very often. But then I thought about it. I'm like, well, Ron leaves, you know, Harry and Hermione in the middle of the woods in Deathly Hallows. I mean, that's not unbelievable. And I'm sure Hermione thought Harry was out of his mind during that fic, but I'm dur- sorry, during the canon, but she stuck with him. During anyway. that fic. Oh, <laughs> Joe wrote a great fic. We're, we're going to cover it next. We're going to cover it in the January. But you know what I mean? It's like how, but it does, it does make sense. And yeah, I mean, these are, 
I mean, I do like these guys. I love Draco in this fic. I think he's a fascinating character to read. I think he's layered. I think I want to know what his motivation is. I was curious why he was being Mr. Nice Guy the Harry, and then when I figured that out to some extent, I was curious you know, to, to, to what he knew about Harry and how he would respond when he learned additional details and where his character is going and how much you know, closer they're going to get and how realistic that is. And one thing Aspen does is she keeps the characters apart. She doesn't make Draco the good guy and Snape the good guy. He can still be an ass if he's questioned. And I love the rules that Snape lays down. You know, call each other by, you know, your first names or I'm going to take house points. You'll be considerate to each other. And as a result of that, they, it's Draco, it's not Malfoy and they get closer to each other. And that's important. It's not, you know, just a name. Like Harry says in this in this chapter and in the canon, names have meanings, names have power. To call him Draco means something, you know, rather than Malfoy. To call Hermione a Muggleborn, you know, in Mudblood means something. And I just think I, I just think the whole thing is, is fascinating. I had a point and, about that. What's that? I had a point about that. In chapter thirty, mm-hmm. when um Draco is talking to Harry and he says something about Hermione. I'm trying to think now. And he almost calls her a mudblood. Yes, but he specifically right. says Muggleborn. He changes it. But that was so, like, when you're, after you've been reading it for a while, I feel like now when I reread that, I was like, okay, that was so Slytherin of Draco. Yeah. Because I really think that he almost said mudblood on purpose. I don't think that he makes accidents very. You know, like that he does things accidentally very often. So you think but it's he like he was demonstrating point. to Harry, no, I didn't say mudblood, I said muggleborn. You know? And I mean Harry even says interesting change of terms after that, or he thinks it or whatever. Yeah. You know, and well, I always I, thought like that was such a like Draco's trying to like he's specifically trying to show something to Harry. So you think you think what you're saying is that you think he purposely started to say mudblood? Yeah, I and do. And then changed it, or do you think that he caught himself and then purposely made a no, point? You I think, think, you think he purposely hmm. almost said mudblood and then said muggleborn. Because I think, see, that, I, I okay, like, if you think of Draco as a character, know. him going in to see Harry in the hospital wing, like, well, you know, like, at the beginning of the day, like, you're brushing your teeth, like, this is a, a scene from Stranger Than Fiction, and you, you say that you're imagining or fantasizing about the conversations you'll have that day, right? Yep. Right. So I... I I totally think of Draco thinking about, well, I mean, even as you read the fic, the, the fic more, you think about Slytherin's plotting everything. So if I think of Draco going to see Harry in the hospital wing, I just imagine that him as a character would be contemplating what he would say, you know, what kind of conversation that he and Harry would have. And I could just see him saying, like, spe- demonstrating that, specifically almost saying mudblood, but then saying muggleborn as a way of showing, like, look, I don't say that anymore. Look at me. I'm, I don't say that type of thing anymore. I say muggleborn now. The one thing I love about these chapters is that the way that Aspen writes it, there's not, there's so many little things that you would miss in there. There's, there was one reference that Harry, said something and Draco filed it away. It wasn't really like that, but it was like Draco picked up on something but didn't comment. Like, it's like you're reading it, you're like, okay, what's he thinking now? What's he thinking now? And because everyone is so... Because the whole story is a game of chess, you really have to think, okay, Harry's forcing Draco to write this letter, but what's Draco thinking about it? And what would Dudley think about it? So you, you think of everything from everyone's, you know, you know, perspective, and it's just... It's so deeply 
deeply layered. Just, just, mm-hmm. just the way it's written. Jen, I'm sorry. Every time <laughs> Jen's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm picturing the nurse from Scrubs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Nurse Roberts. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's not mm-hmm. true. Poor Nurse Roberts. <laughs> I like her though. I thought you hated she her. died. She died. Sorry to anyone who's in the first season of Scrubs right now. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry for that spoiler, but Nurse well, Roberts. Well, we we never said we wouldn't spoil Scrubs. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I don't recall. I don't recall saying that. <laughs> Sorry. Non-Scrub fans who want to be Scrubians. Yeah, well, I love Scrubs. Whatever. I have a crush on Zag Breath, like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. <laughs> Me too, Garden State. Me what too. It? I mean, oh my yeah. god, that's my favorite movie. I love Garden State. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad. Oh my god, I've watched that like a billion times. I love Zag Breath. I told my husband I would leave him for Zag Breath. By the option. I copy his soundtracks all the time. I love. Them. Yes. <laughs> Okay, wow. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I just I just learned to embrace moments like this on our show. It's just it's rejuvenating. It's almost like a fine wine. Hey girls, I love Garden State too. I'm oh, glad it's, it's James' it's favorite like, movie. Oh, such a good movie. I love that movie. Phil is trying uh, to make himself more attractive to our female listeners after last week. And he found after last week. After when last I, week when he learned that she did not lust for him in her heart. <laughs> you either, Ryan. I seriously don't remember half. I'm of sorry, I heard week. that wrong. I thought Phil didn't lust for me in his heart. I had to listen to that a second. Oh, okay. There was okay. lust. There was discussion of lust in hearts. There was discussion of voices and whether or not they inspired lust. That's, oh, are we talking about Rob from Spellcast? Yes, and? we're talking about Rob from Spellcast. Can I just tell you that Rob sent me like an instant message saying I heard my voice was the topic of discussion discussion on your show. I'm like, that's interesting. My show hasn't been released yet. How did you? Do that? I know. I didn't tell him. I think she told him. She did tell him. He's she like, must have. How I wanted, I was so sad about missing the commentary. Thank you, this we got we got three more to go, right? Or four more? No, three more to go. Well, there's okay, four yeah. more to go once the fifth back one gets. To, the fifth one. Right. You know what I'm going to do? Yeah, I'm actually, that will be in November. I will actually watch the fifth movie for the first time with you guys on the commentary. How's that? No. Yes. It's so good. You and I are going to have a conversation later. And Jen, wait. How did I get in trouble? <laughs> oh, your favorite. <laughs> Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> Jen, you like POA, don't you? I heard this, yeah. right? Okay, because yeah. that's my favorite. I do too, it's but like I think second only to Order of the Phoenix. I think, I think. Alfonso, That's my order. Yeah, that's me too. Alfonso overdid it with the crows. And most people I find in the fandom hate POA. I know! I'm praying that Alfonso. And I don't understand that at one. all. I don't I get want it him to do the all. seventh one. Me so too. Badly. I would love that. I would like die of happiness. I love the third one, yeah, so. Yeah, that's I thought that he captured favorite. Harry, like, everybody had a certain sexuality to them. And I really yes. liked that. It was very appealing to me. And, and like, in the fourth one, they lost it. Well, it was such they growing lost. up. It was like you deal with them in the first two, and then in the third one, all of a sudden, they're totally grown up. I it's know. Like, I like I loved that. it. I, love, I like you. And they were... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. I have the same problem. When I found out Melinda didn't like Prisoner of Azkaban, I like, cried for a week. <laughs> oh, no. Don't let I her hear so that. Sad. She'll feel awful. No, she knows. <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> okay, wow. Back to yeah. um, Quickly, I want to talk about a few things. I know we talked about the vampires, and we talked about the little things that Aspen puts in for humor, but we really didn't talk about the story very much. Um. <laughs> 
And I think that it's important to bring up certain aspects of the story um, because they're just so well written. I, I think that if she spends the time writing it, we should spend a few minutes mentioning if we liked it or disliked it. And <laughs> I'm sorry, that was so funny. It's like we can spend 45 minutes talking about what the tag Jan in the backyard today, but we have to squeeze out the conversation <laughs> about the story. <laughs> Well, like, for example, I particularly loved the scene where um, Draco goes and shows Harry the bedroom, and it's all in Slytherin colors. Yes. And he he wants Harry to ask him to do something and to show him that he will do it. And I would get that. That's ridiculous. But, but you know, and Harry, of course, is just too tired. I mean, he's like a, he's a person who just got out of the hospital. All you do when you get out of the hospital is you go and you, like, sleep somewhere else. <laughs> That's more comfortable. It's, like, the first place you can go to relax and because you're out of the hospital. And, like, yeah, and I, I went to my parents. Like, I wanted to go somewhere where I felt very home. And I went to my parents' house and went into my, like, I, I don't actually have a bedroom there anymore. They turned it to an office. It's oh, Jen, oh, is that terrible? So I was Jen's like the person, that. like why she's getting while she's getting in the moving van. She's looking up and she's like, "Are they measuring my old room?" Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like my parents were the type oh. that didn't actually tell me they were going to do that. I just came home from college, and mom was like, "I hope you're not mad, but look." And like I looked, and there was no room left, and so it was kind of like that. And so, but Shannon, my sister got to keep her room and now it, it's kind of awkward because the bathroom that was our bathroom is now Shannon's bathroom because Shannon still lives at home and she's not married and so evidently the rule is when you get married you leave the house then and everything else is the sister until she oh gets married and then it's the guest room and the guest bathroom Jenny so like mirror lives that's exactly do we what really I'm, my and sister, I feel so sad. my sister is a few years younger than me felt- she lives with my yeah. parents still and they are like totally <laughs> I go home and they're like sorry you don't have a room Aaron's got that room now I'm like a tennis match right now I'm like whoosh <laughs> Thank you very much. Anyway, I don't know how I went there, but I just love this scene where, you know, and it's like, I love that he transferred his big king size bed into two small. I just like that Severus gives them like his old office. Like everyone is making sacrifices to do this and be here. And I just really liked it. I liked it. Did everyone everyone just catch that that, uh, Jen's now calling him Severus? Sev, Sev. Sev, Sev. No, he's not Sevy Poo. He's Severus. 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 Well, I love the scene that there were so many moments that had me cracking up. And I love the part where Harry goes into into the bedroom with Draco. And Draco has made Harry's side of the room, you know, into Gryffindor collars. And and Draco's like, I was waiting for you to ask me to do it. You never asked me to do it. Yeah, he's he's like a girl. Yeah, it's like. (laughs) And Harry's like, like, you never notice anything I do. And Harry's like, well, you never offered. And and, and Draco's like, I'm working to save this marriage. It was just like, that is such a fight between married people. It's a funny analogy, though. No, there's uh, Phil hasn't taken the Pepsi shot yet. There was this moment in Babylon (laughs) 5 where it's like these two arch rivals who hate each other all five years. They want to kill each other. And at one point they're arguing in the public place and. They, they storm out and two bystanders are, are standing there and they're like, I wonder how long they've been married. It's just, it was just oh. one of those great moments. And, but my favorite moment from these chapters, this beats out. If I see Voldemort, I'll yell. <laughs> Harry is in, 
in the in, in Snape's quarters with Ron and Hermione. They've just come to visit for the first time, and they're sitting on the couch. And Hermione's sitting there, you know, kind of prissily with like her legs folded, trying not to get germs on herself, apparently. And um, <laughs> oh no, 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 that's Draco. Come on, be serious. Yeah, she's Draco. sitting there with her legs crossed, you know, just like she's a little glass. girl. Let her be a little girl. Right. Good grace, suck right. up. Come on, give her a break. All right, and she's, she's not. And ha- and they suddenly <laughs> remember that Harry can't do magic. Like it skips their mind. So. You know, bear in mind, you know, Harry apparently continues from after the end, continues to have ED. Um, Dre- Ron <laughs> leans forward and says, having trouble with the old wand, huh? <laughs> I'm, like, oh. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, you poor bastard. <laughs> Wait, Ron says that? Yeah, he's just having trouble with the old wand. Oh, he's such a... Never mind. <laughs> yeah, he's such a bad friend. Ron, but come on, Ron, give us a break. <sighs> no, oh, oh, and it's important that um, they can't. Snape is not allowing them to call each other by their last names anymore. Right, or he will take points from their houses. Or he'll have to take right. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah, well, I thought I said that before. It really brought. I thought. I think it really like it, it got them on the way to calling each other by their first names, and then when they're calling each other by their first names, they got to treat themselves more like people. And they got to consider that, you know, it's not Malfoy, it's not Potter, it's, you know, Harry. Yeah, Once you call him Harry, right. maybe That's he seems someone. like a different person. And if That's he seemed- easily recognizable to readers, too. Yeah. Okay, because here we go, going back to Draco Hermione fix. If you read one of those, a long one, you always know that they've crossed a line when they start calling each other by their first name. Every yeah, Draco. Yeah. Hermione fic I've ever read has them calling each other by their last name for like seven chapters. And then eventually they cross this line where they're calling each other by their first names. And it's always like this huge symbolic indication of a (laughs) shift in the relationship, right? It is though. Yeah. So that's so Aspen does something completely different here and just Snape says right from the beginning, you can't call each other by your last name. Here, deal with that. I order you to never. <laughs> exactly. And right? I thought it was really interesting how he does the point system. Like, he just has to think about it, and it's and it does it. Oh, like, yeah. Like, he just... All he I like the is, description yeah. of it, yeah. If I were Draco, here's the thing. Slytherin's trying to kill me. You know, like, I like I am, like, granted, he's trying yeah, to Yeah, you'd be little... like, screw you guys. I'll, like, call Harry Potter all the Potter, time. Potter, Potter, yeah. Potter, Potter. <laughs> and the Slytherins are like, we can't get back. We promise not to kill you. Stop saying Potter. Exactly. I, I don't know. He's got some house loyalty. I think maybe Draco's part Gryffindor if well, you want to get right well, back exactly. to it. But here's the... Oh, that would be interesting. But let, let's... <laughs> let's stop and think about this. Jen, do you remember the plan from After the End that you thought about in detail and, you know, Draco's plan, how terrible it was? Think about Snape in this one. Okay. The Slytherins, Draco, they hate you. They want you to die. One of them tried to blow you up in front of me. You know, like, 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 they they literally, like, you were in protective custody. We can't let you go outside or else, you know, like, like, we've intercepted intelligence to try and blow up the hospital wing. Like, like, we have, like, Slytherin insurgents, like, really, really pissed off Slytherins. But we would like you to bring them to Harry's side you know, without going out to see them, so you can't do anything drastic, so we want you to write to the people who hate you and convince them to not only forgive you, but to flip sides. Like, like what are the odds that's going to work? <laughs> <sighs> was I yeah. deep? Yeah, that was deep. 
Quiet. I'm accepting the fact from last week that I'm just a very deep. All I can say, Ryan, is I have, like, I am Jen a couple of times about stuff you've said. Like, what? I know. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm very deep. I was going to mention something really important. It was really important. Oh, oh, Harry's mother's ring. What did y'all think of the importance of that? Because I love that. Jen is like the worst person to have state secrets. I know where the nukes are. I know where the nukes are. <laughs> I'll tell you, but not for a while. Yeah, apparently I'm planes flying over Louisiana, but I know where the nukes are. But Oh my goodness. That, I know. that was unfortunate. I apologize to Louisiana. I know where they are, too. They're in Clam Lake, Wisconsin. You have nukes in Clam Lake, Wisconsin? <laughs> no, there really is like a place. I don't think we should put this like, on the air. <laughs> I don't think I don't like I think that's widely known though. I think that is widely known. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's like Privet Drive. They know where it is. <laughs> right, yeah, something like that. Should I make it easy for them? Hold on, you think there's terrorists listening to Perfect Weekly on the off chance we mention <laughs> what the nukes are? Yeah, and I just spilled the beans. Yeah, like I have some government secrets. I highly doubt it. We're like check off oh, the That's commonly known around here. Are? I liked the the reference that 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 hair that Draco read at adolescent trauma, the road to recovery, and has decided to go about helping Harry by labeling him with all of these issues. Yeah, Draco that, Malfoy, you know, like like doctor of behavioral <laughs> sciences, or more like Draco Malfoy. Let me pretend to be Hermione while she's not around. And I thought it was a. I want to point out this line. I don't know where it is exactly, but Harry, but Severus. I mean, oh gosh, Harry asks Snape, um, "Did you really leave it out for him to read on purpose?" He says that you did, and Snape says something like, "No, I just left it on a table." But you will notice that Draco sees plots inside plots. Yeah, that's what. It's a matter of his upbringing. Yeah, it's what Meg was just saying before. She's seeing, you know, I think when Draco said this, he really, really meant to say that because then when he took it back, Harry would know this, and that would get the thought into Harry's head, and the whole thing was one big master plan. (laughs) And when you think of it, Snape's like, you know what? Sometimes Draco's just nuts. (laughs) Sometimes he may just be reading a little bit too much into that. It's like, but that's why I thought that Draco was doing that because I think that's how he operates. Well, I think it it makes. Well, it partly could be, but it makes me wonder, like, what growing up with Lucius was like. It was apparently very stressful. I mean, he, yeah, he, you like, could obviously be like afraid of when you went to the bathroom, and well, I mean, if a book was <laughs> out, I would assume he would have to read it in case he decided to be tested on it, or you know, like, oh, there's Dad's wallet. It's like a test. Everything's a test, and I would like die of stress, like, in the first fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like, seriously, because I get anal retentive about, like, the most retarded things. Oh, I, I and find worry. that hard to believe. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing. Oh. <laughs> it's so true. It's so ingrained in my personality that I, like, freak out and stress about the most inane things. But, but especially if you lived with someone like that, like, they were leaving, like, a pup out or something, and it was some <laughs> plot. <laughs> 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 and you're trying to be... Well, Okay, well, I don't know. I just think, yeah, that would be stressful. A stressful existence. Poor Harry's like, what? You leave a book out and that means something? The snake's like, I was tired. I forgot to put the book away. (laughs) 
But was Snape lying, and was he lying because he anticipated that the Harry would ask the question, and was Draco... Plots like, there, within plots, there like, you there, go. There's, there's, there's no way for me to know that, but that just reminded me of another thing. I love the fact that Draco is afraid of snakes, and he cast the snake on Harry in his second year because he was, you know, he, he figured if I'm afraid of snakes, then, uh, like, a weak little Gryffindor will certainly be afraid of snakes. And, and all the different attributes that she adds to Draco's character, he's a bookworm, contrasted to Chamber of Secrets, the movie Draco, who didn't even know that Crab and Goyle, you know, apparently knew how to read. read. Which was an ad-lib line by Tom Felton, which isn't canon, but whatever. I mean, really? I think he ad-libbed that on the set. <laughs> Danielle, Not he really. I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah, Danielle told oh, me that. Oh my goodness. Uh, okay, she, I like him a little better, because that was funny. That was right. one of the funnier parts of the movie. <laughs> the only part I liked was the part that wasn't in the script. Um, I cried. Uh, I cried when I read these chapters in a place. I thought you cried when you saw Chambers. <laughs> I know. Oh, no, no. Where did you cry? Wait, Wait I have a question. Okay. I have a question. Um, at this point, did we know? I don't. Okay, I don't want to give. Do we know why Draco was afraid of snakes? Yes. Okay. Well, we know not that- not as not as ingrained as you know it to be. Okay. Okay, because yeah, because okay. we we know that Draco wasn't able to cast you know the the, the snake spell as as a younger child, so that they you know Lucius forced you know this Draco to be wrapped in, wrapped in the snake. Okay. Okay, that's specific. That's yeah. Okay. 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 Wait till you get to the nineties. Okay. Uh, um, right. Right. <laughs> oh my god! Which is scaring me, but it's like a month away. I know. Okay. I lo- I cried during the part where Harry goes to Severus and tells him that he wants Severus to take Draco away for holiday so that they can enjoy their family Christmas because they're related. Well, that reminds me, too, of, like, the kid who asks for the thing he knows. It's like when you when you ask for something and you pray to God the person doesn't do it. It's like Harry's like, I think you should just go away and take Draco with you. I'll be fine. Have someone check on me and make sure I'm fed. Like, you honestly <laughs> believe in the world that Snape will do this? No, but you want to be on... Obviously, he ass. doesn't. He doesn't believe that because he knows at that point, he. I mean, he can't even... Get his own food. Yeah. Dobby will check in on me once a day. Like, oh, that's a good idea, Harry. You know what? Yeah, me and Snape, the purebloods, the Slytherins, we're going to go and celebrate Christmas. You have fun here by yourself. Uh, I hope you get to eat. Yeah, I don't think that Harry really thinks that's going to happen. Well, I love Snape, too. I was (laughs) planning to spend the the Yule festivities with you and Draco. Is that okay with you? (laughs) Yeah. But it's even like, think of, well, no, I'm just jumping off onto random points here. Think of Snape, too, how much he is willing to consider in these chapters that he might be wrong. It's that reinforcement of the fact that he wants, he's pushing against these kids and telling them they're wrong so they'll fight back. You know, Snape can't figure out how to get, you know, Draco, I'm sorry, Snape can't figure out how to get Dudley onto school grounds. Draco figures it out. Snape can't figure out how to get the blood protection to work. Draco you know, figures it out, and Snape is willing to listen to it, and Dudley figures out why the blood protection didn't work, and Snape is open to asking their opinions to it, and I just think even when you look at the character of Draco, he's willing to say, I had the wrong idea. Like, here's the thing, Draco at one point acknowledges he was a jerk before. How many of us can say, oh, I was a jerk last year? No, you don't. You say, oh, I was justified. You... I was stressed out. I was under a great deal of stress. I'm pleading insane. I mean, there's... Draco admits that he was nasty before. I think it, she's really, you know, we talked about how Snape here is different from canon Snape. Her Draco is a lot more self-confident. He's a lot more cunning. He's a lot smarter. He's a lot braver. 
very, very different character from the canon. But like I said when we started out tonight, I think her Draco is is that much more detailed and that much more interesting to read. Definitely more interesting than the, you know, the Draco Beautiful. from the Hallows. <laughs> Everybody yeah. in, this, in this story has so many layers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. I just... It's, like, hard I to keep it straight. It. <laughs> yeah, well, I see the Draco in, in A Year Like None Other is is the one who made the choices that the Draco in Deathly Hallows was too cowardly to make. Yeah. Draco chose to walk away from... Well, we have to, you know, but truthfully, the, the Draco in canon, I mean, something I think about a lot is um, in Half-Blood Prince, where Draco, you know, with the poisoned mead and... The cursed necklace. I mean, he, like Hermione said in that chapter after Ron had been poisoned, whoever the person was, was careless about who may die as a result of those things. And I think that is something interesting about the, the Draco and canon. You know, he was cowardly when the death was face to face, but he was not afraid to kill people. He, he, well, he did, well, here's the thing. He knew he was on a suicide mission, but he still went ahead with it. And yeah. it's like the guy who's forced to do something that he knows is wrong, but he still does it for a while. And then he gets up the courage to not, you know, go all the way there. It was easy for him to you know, put the Imperius curse on Madame Rosemurda. It was easy for him to almost kill Katie Bell. Because he's not, it's not face to face. Like right. it was with Dumbledore. It would have been hard for looking Dumbledore in the face, trying to decide, yeah, am I going to kill this person? But it's when hard. it's removed from him, it's something else. Yeah, it, it would be it would be much harder for Draco, I think, in in, in Half Blood Prince to stop. It'd be much harder for him to stop into it. Well, he never. I mean, he never really did show like he had any redemption. Really, I mean, he did in small parts. He did, he, he did in Deathly Hallows when he saved when he didn't recognize them at Malfoy Manor. Um, yeah, but that's just not. Enough. Yeah. Well, no, I completely yeah. agree. But you it's, know. Some, it's something. It's something. It's it, a little bit. It's Whereas, like it's the it, real cowardice way out. Like he's not brave enough to say no. It's not them. But he's also not brave enough, or he's not so firm about his beliefs that he wants to say yes. It is them. You know, kill them, torture them, do whatever he wants. Yeah, and you can ask yourself, why does he do it? Does he do it in a year like none other because he knows that he has absolutely no choice whatsoever? And that he's going to lose everything if he goes the other way, and he might as well jump ship now and, and hope his side wins. Or is he doing it because, on some level, he gets it? On some level, he you know is sickened by what Lucius did to Harry. On some level, he is sickened right. by the way his father behaves around Voldemort. You know, where is it? And like I think so many other characters in this fic, it's a very blended and layered response. It's not I, you can't. I, just... I think it's it's the same almost as with Snape. Whereas the Snape, the Snape in canon, you know, he made a different choice. It's the same thing with Draco. The Draco in A Year Like None Other and the Draco in canon are both disillusioned characters. They see something that it doesn't make sense to them. In canon, Draco chooses to really do nothing about it. Yeah. Um, in A Year Like None Other, he does something about it. It's the same thing with Snape. I mean, Snape in canon could have done something about, you know, he could have been different. But, you know, he's not, obviously, and you're like, no, there he is. No, I, I definitely agree. I mean, it's it comes, once again, down to choices. It comes down to, you know, when you're faced with a situation that in your heart you feel is wrong, are you strong enough and brave enough to do something about it? And the Draco from canon doesn't. And, you know, I mean, he, he's, I, I guess I, I've always thought of, especially after reading Deathly Hells, 
I think of Canon Draco as a two and a half dimensional character. You know, he's he's not one dimensional. He's not three dimensional. <laughs> so he's like two and a half. I mean, he, you see the potential in there for him to become more than he is. But at right. least during the course of the seven books, he never actually becomes that. He never decides this, to make that. Yeah. No. That exactly. He never makes that decision. Thank and, God there's fan fiction. Yeah, and even in the epilogue, uh, you know, the, the, with the uh, the nod on the uh, on the platform, I mean, you kind of get this feeling that okay, well, there's a was a twenty year gap or whatever it was in there, yeah. and maybe some things got worked out. Maybe there's some changes that were made. Uh, hard, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, this fic shows the consequences, both good and bad, of you know taking that step, making that decision. And acting on it, and that's where this Draco is much braver in his core than Canon Draco. I mean, if, it, it really comes down to: Am I brave enough to make that choice and, and live with yeah. it? One thing I think we see in these in these chapters is that Harry, to some extent, is shown to be wrong on many levels. He's 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 wrong in the way he treats Draco. He's wrong in the way he perceives people around him. He's he's he 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 is shown he's is pointed out to him areas where he is lacking. Now, m- many of his decisions are, you know, absolutely understandable depending on, you know, how you think of the way he was treated in years past. It's absolutely understandable considering he was brutally tortured, you know, mere weeks ago. But what I love about her characters is they're all gray, they're all layered, they're all broken, they're all deep, and they all are right and they all are wrong. And there's just so much to these people. Dudley is not, you know, the the one-dimensional cartoon character, you know, who symbolizes, you know, just one added layer of stress in Harry's life. He's lost everything because of Harry. And this isn't a fic where we see, oh, I feel so guilty. Vernon died. Oh, my God, it's my fault. And Petunia died because of my... Blah, blah, blah. Harry is not, you know, as traditionally done in fan fiction, focused on guilt in this fic. He is, he is you know, focusing on trying to, to, to fix the, fix himself and fix others. You know, he's, the, he's given, you know, Dudley the hug is... And I just have to um, try and keep this serious, but that... Dudley cracks me up in these chapters. I yeah, just, like, I agree. It, it, I know. My God, it was it was it's like he's like stupid, stupid, and like I just like he's trying he's trying to do magic. And I love the fact that Dudley's the one at the end who figures out why the why the blood protection didn't work. Yeah, I just there's there's so many layers to it. And I love how he stands up to Draco for Harry, which actually nearly happened in the canon. There's just so many different layers. I just I I just you know in the, he's like stunted though. Yeah. Oh, he is. He's like acting like a seven-year-old. And it's like you've yeah. known that person who's like they're actually you know older, but they're it's really like so twelve shelter. mentally. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you know, you totally have known that person in your life, absolutely. And there's not necessarily like like something you could diagnose that was wrong with them, mm-hmm. but <laughs> you know, but they're like Jen said, they're sheltered, you know. And Dudley is just absolutely that in this and so you feel like he's funny he's sort of like a you know a comic relief or whatever but it's also sort of sad in a way yeah and he's older than draco but draco's talking down to him they are they're all talking to him like he's a child yeah which he essentially is essentially I mean, yeah he was never he was never forced to be anything else yeah. mm-hmm Mm. Jen's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's the first reference again. Mm-hmm. Jen's like, can I go to bed now, please? 
<laughs> Jen, are you tired? No. It's like, what's well, no, I was just. It's, okay, it's not Phil. Yeah, Jen, take, Jen, do you want to take us anywhere else? Oh, well, yeah. if everybody's very good, man, that's No, I, I'm, I actually, I'm, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm staring at my ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> I had to look at my ceiling, too, just because you said that. Okay. Um, yeah, if you guys yeah. Damn it, I just did, too. Hey guys. <laughs> I'm in a hotel room. I'm like, I wonder what my ceiling looks like. Okay, but I just wanted to bring up the, what did y'all think about uh, Snape keeping Remus away? I like Remus's response to it. I like the fact that Remus wants Harry to not get caught in the middle of it. And he, he says, you know, even though I disagree with Snape and even though I'm in the fight, you know, to try and to see you know that, you know, you need to respect him and that, you know, we can disagree, but we both still care about you. I think it's like the diplomatic dad, you know, in the divorce thing saying, you know, mom and I don't love each other anymore, but you still love them. <laughs> you know, you still it's have, not you, honey. It's not you, honey. You know, keep going and play. <laughs> and I think I, I love Snape's reaction. He should be strangled for what he did. And, and Lupin did screw up. And, you know, do I think now on some level, I think it's a plot device to keep Lupin away so that Harry is forced to, you know, just surround himself. With yeah. And surround himself with I mean, that's exactly. Obvious. That's, that's obvious. Yeah. There's lots Mechanically, of, that's what it is. Yeah. There's, lo- there's lots and of plot devices. It's happening. That's all I'm going to say about that. Well, what did that's you show? that irritated me about that is that it was like, oh, conveniently Lupin can't come by now, you know? Like, let's just make yeah. sure Harry sees nobody but Snape and Draco for. You know, oh, weeks I, on end, and well, that, I mean, we're at the point where we're at the point where everybody else has basically been banned. All of the people yeah. who are considered positive influences in Harry's life are suddenly banned from seeing him, and so it's this immersion. You know, it's 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 Draco and it's Dudley and it's Snape, and that's it. And mm-hmm. and yeah, that, you know, through the immersion with those characters, he's obviously going to grow closer to all of them. But it is it, uh, that was the one thing about these chapters. It did strike me a little convenient that yes. none of the people who were the positive influences could see him. And, you know, and then Dumbledore, who's the, who, you know, at least in canon, remains mostly a positive influence as the one character that Harry seems to despise. So, you know, I mean, it's basically this this part of the, of the story, and I know there's still many, many chapters to go, but this part of the story is clearly about him getting away from, in one form or another, those people and immersing himself with the people that he is currently surrounded with and getting closer to that. Although there are some meaningful moments when, you know, that's not the case. I think there's some moments where, you know, he does have, you know, contact with Lupin. and you can still write to him. He does have contact with Ron and Hermione. So it is definitely what you said. There is, you know, a push towards isolating Harry, but he does have contact with, with, with the people who oh, yeah. also... It almost like, feels like people that are wondering where they are are being, like, appeased, though. Like... Yeah. You know, like, oh, no, no, see, look, look, he he has a letter from Lupin, and, you know, Ron and Hermione well, can visit. Yeah, and he makes up a Dumbledore. Know? He says to Dumbledore, you know, I, I said some things that were very unkind to you, and I just can't get over the fact, I, I just, I'm stuck on the fact that you knew what was going on in that house, and you, you know, and you let it happen. And Dumbledore's response, I knew that you were alive in that house, and that was what mattered most to me. And it's, it's, a, sh- it's a shitty situation. What do you do with that? I mean... Yeah, both- that's like, but I mean, after reading Deathly Hallows, yeah. I can accept that. Then I read that and I'm like, okay, if I had read this after reading Order of the Phoenix, I would have been like, what is she doing to Dumbledore? Why does Harry hate Dumbledore? You know, what's I, did. I love I, Dumbledore, I, 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 you know I, what I, I mean? But at the same time, at the end of, I, I'm, I have to say I disagree because at the end of Order, 
I hated Dumbledore. I thought he was the worst person ever. See, I, I hate I it. still, I, you know what? I had warm, fuzzy feelings for Dumbledore till Deathly Hallows, and I was, and I still kind of do on, I mean, truth be told, but I think that's just sort of like a, he's the old man professor that I like, I, and he seems nice, and he's funny, and he offers candy. I mean, you know, maybe I'm <laughs> pulled in by that, well, but Dumbledore, what are you going to do? Dumbledore has always been enigmatic. I mean, but I, it's always amazed me because if you look at every book, practically every one of the books, at any point during the strife and all the uh, horrible things going on, Dumbledore probably could have just stepped in and gone, "Oh, oh yeah, let me let me snap my fingers here." Uh, okay, everything's fine. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, he, he could have come in at any moment and helped, like but he never did. Yeah, Since or, or Harry, a sword. He's a manipulative bastard. Yeah. You know, yeah. or even the Triwizard Tournament. Oh, it's a I magical contract. Him. Let's let Harry yeah. compete. That was Gambin. I'm like, what? That was <laughs> Gambin. Gambin had the right thing going. I, I applaud his performance. Oh. <laughs> I know. That, that is the one thing. Why don't you hang up on Jen? All right, if I can. <laughs> no, no, Goodbye. I have, I have to agree with Jen on this one, though, because I loved... I mean, I love Deathly Hallows, but afterward, I was like, oh, my God, Gambin had it right. The yes, guy that did not read the books, he didn't read thank the books. Thank you for joining us on Perfect Weekly. Thank you. Good night, everybody. You know, he all of a sudden, what? He had it right the whole time? Son of a... You know, I was so mad. No, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Oh, my God. I'm about to make Jen weep. Okay, here's the thing. We are able to look in this story, and we are able to say that although Draco has been an ass for years, he had a terrible childhood. And although Snape, you know, you know, boiled children alive and kicked <laughs> Girl Scouts, yeah. he's apparently a vampire. He's the he he shoots the paper boy with the hose, and he, you know, and he, yeah. and, he and he dumps raw sewage on the neighbor's lawn, and he like blows the leaves oh, over, the, over the fence. Snape. Yeah, I mean, even though Snape, you know, is that awful guy, he did, he he misunderstood Harry, and now that he knows who Harry is, kumbaya, give me a hug. <laughs> Let's go sit <laughs> Come here, you big No, but like, no, but what I'm getting no, at, Jen, but, Jen I'm obviously I sort of got Jen's gonna like leave this podcast going. They don't understand, <laughs> but no, I mean, what I'm saying is, in this story, we accept as part of the plot. That Snape and Draco both did awful things, but because of growth, they moved beyond it. And they had reasons for doing it. Draco has reasons for siding with Harry. Dra- Snape has reasons for not saving, you know, the Bungleborn family when he's with the Death Eaters. Everyone has reasons for doing what they're doing. The character of Dumbledore, I think, is just the same. He made choices. They didn't always work out, but he... He, he, he was trying to do the right thing. So I think on some level, if we have to, and we do accept Draco and accept Snape and accept the fact that people can make mistakes and have those mistakes be forgiven and, and work towards a goal, that Dumbledore could screw it up. I think Dumbledore, if you ask him, admits he screwed up. He, he didn't tell Harry enough. He, 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 you know, left him there when he should have spoken. I think Lupin made terrible mistakes. I think they all made terrible mistakes, but I think all of the character... I think that's what makes it a better story. I think that the fact that Dumbledore and Deathly Hallows was shown to be a flawed character was good, because we're at the end of the journey, and we know these characters inside and out. This is, you know, we, we start off with Dumbledore being Gandalf, and we end with Dumbledore being human. I think that's 
very important. I think. Right. Yeah. What was that, Jen? Nothing. What'd you say? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> no, it's the only way. time that bad Skype quality has saved Jen. Jen, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> really female. Nothing. 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 I know that nothing by heart. (laughs) I was like, I don't know, Satan. (laughs) (laughs) He's not Satan. He's flawed, just like anybody else. Well, but before we close, I want to say that I adore the concept of how a home has to be, um, how somebody has to believe it's their home. I love that Dudley, of all people, is the one who explains why this thing isn't working, why the blood spell isn't working in Snape's home. Yeah, it was actually one of those moments where I actually cracked, I I did crack up laughing just a little bit because it seemed like, okay, we've got Dudley who's like, my dad died, did you know my dad died? Here's a lollipop. You know, like, like, you know, he's like, the the, the vampire scared me, stupid, 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 smacking himself on the forehead. And, okay, but, you know, okay, but, but at the same level, at the end, he's the only one that can figure out why the blood sacrifice spell didn't work. And you're like, huh? What? No, I just He's get love. Something, right? Yeah, I just like for the first time. Like I think this is what I like so much about the that ending line. And I know we started the episode here, and I love that we're ending. Um, but how do you like we that? We could I'm, like, not have dance. planned that <laughs> in a million years. We could not have planned that. Well, any, any, really, anyway, I just love because usually in Snape's thought process, he is very introverted and he's very like he waits and thinks things through before acting and like he's very logical and everything he does has very has background reasons blah blah blah. and this is the first time that we get to get that we get to see snape like think out loud Mm. and and i really liked that we get to see even like you you said a while ago that it showed that dumbledore was human too I like this because we've seen bits and pieces that Snape can be human. And this is the first time I think that he realized that, again, he's going to have to be self-sacrificing. And um, But at the same time, at this point in time, he's gotten to know Harry a bit. And I think it, it, he didn't even have to consider it, really. He just knew that this was gonna. This was the way that it was gonna have to be, and I don't think at this point he decided right or wrong or what are the, you know, what's gonna happen if if I adopt. And and it's hard for me to talk without blurting out the next five chapters or whatever. But you mean the scene uh, where he picks up the phone and says, "Operator, get me the police." Yeah, well, I I just love the way I I can't wait for next week's episode because I'm so excited about where this leads, but. I wanted to stop here because it was such an aggravating moment for me as a reader that I thought it, I could only do it justice by stopping here again. In the and project. aggravating all the people at PFW. Puffwa <laughs> is very upset. <laughs> but it, it, I don't know. I just We're really not it. upset with you, Jim. The really definition of like Snape's thinking is like calculating. Everything he does is very calculated. And like, we don't see him calculating this. He just says it and does it. And like, I love the first sentence of the next chapter, which I won't say, but I want to refer to this place again when we begin next week. Can do. It's just fabulous. 
And just closing out, I just have to say. Wait, I'm I, going to check what that is now, as we're saying it. And I just have. To, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Say I'm just I just want to say. Don't this. say anything. We, you know, I we, we've obviously that. been, you know, somewhat critical and, and somewhat, um, you know, heaping praise on Aspen here. I just want to say that reading some of these chapters, it's one of the few moments you know, reading fan fiction where I felt like I was actually watching the thing on screen and I really could feel the chemistry between, you know, the, the, like Alan Rickman and Dan Radcliffe and, you know, I, I could, you know, you know, like, yeah, no, so, it's true. Actually, yeah. I picture Rickman. I don't really picture Dan, but you know, it's, it's, I it's, love Alan Rickman. I like the scene. I do too. Like I just, I, I, I really like the scene, you know, where they're grading <laughs> papers together and the scene where Harry comes in, you know, cause he just needs to sit and talk. And, you know, I, I, here's the thing. When I get caught into a fic, even if sometimes I, I have difficulty believing, you know, the, 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 you know, the characters and the direction they take, if it's well written, I get into it. I love the interactions between Harry and Draco, um, you know, especially the ones in their bedroom. And it's not often I can say that in a fic that I love the bedroom scenes between Harry and Draco. <laughs> But, um, you know, oh, I, I when you said that to him, like, don't juvenile giggle, don't juvenile giggle. <laughs> yeah. And 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 the one point that just brings up, I think, the um, just like the the humanity and and just the fun, and especially in the later chapters, the snark where they really start to play off each other is um, banter. Yeah, is the scene where Harry, you know, is is laying in bed and he and he and he, I can't remember oh what the line. Is. He yells out something to Draco, and Draco comes out of the bathroom and he's just taking a shower and says, "What did you say?" And Harry He's like, you heard what I said. And Draco's like, oh, yeah, he's I did. like in bed and he yells out something. Drake. Yeah, I just love no, <laughs> that. You can almost hear the threes company. My mind like, went dark. I know. This is a great okay, deal of uh, restraint for Jen. But I, just, I just love that response, though. It's like, what did you say? You heard me. Yeah, I know. I just wanted you to say it again. Like, it's just like, it's just like <laughs> the annoyance and just like, the, just the, <sighs> All right, Jen needs I to love go, you. Jen needs to go read Smut right now. Go ahead. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah. Don't insult I the I need to go read. What is that? Their room? <laughs> I don't think it's not like their room. It's what it's called. I don't know. I haven't read it in a long time, but I remember it being really popular and like people loved it. People loved it. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. Well, if I can't, I should go interrogate people on the forum and make them tell me where it is. I think we can find it. <laughs> I know it's on. I know it's yeah, on fanfiction. All right. Well, while this conversation goes on, why don't we get us out of here? Goodbye. I'll talk to you all next week. For next week's episode, we're going to be discussing uh, chapters 39 through 45, whereas Jen has already planned for us to have another cliffhanger ending because, quite frankly, dun, dun, dun. Jen is diabolically evil. Wait, what's the, what is it next week? What's chapters the chapter? 39 through 45. And oh. I love these chapters too. They're my yeah, favorite. Yeah, so do I. They're <laughs> your favorite. We've never talked about Jen's favorite chapters before. <laughs> and that's sarcasm. It's very much sarcasm. We're out of here. Have a great night, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Good Thank night. You. Good night. Bye bye. Hey everybody, this is Rena, and this is a new segment we're going to try out. It's called Rena Recommends. It gives me a chance to give some shout outs to some of my favorite authors, as well as clue some of you guys in to some really great fanfic. If anybody just happens to be looking for something to read while uh, waiting the next discussion piece on Potterfic Weekly. The links to all the stories are going to be available on our website, so surf over and check them out. The first piece I want to highlight is one that I've actually recently read 
good. It's a one shot and I'm not usually a fan of one shots. So, you know, it's got to be impressive if it caught my attention. It's hosted on phoenixsong.net and it's called Minding the Baby. It was written by Redder, who is a fantastic author, has lots of great stuff. This story in particular is post-Deathly Hallows, so be warned for spoilers. It's from the point of view of Andromeda Tonks and talks about what she goes through following the final battle and putting the pieces back together and moving on. It's an excellent, excellent, excellent story, uh, so go check it out. The second piece I want to highlight as not a story per se, and it's about as far from that piece from Minding the Baby as you can get with and still be in the same genre. We've discussed it a little bit on the forums. It is a live journal group, and it's called Potter Sue's. And it basically is a collection of the best in bad fan fiction. And it highlights some of the funniest characters and some of the worst writing you will ever read. And it's always great for a laugh. So check it out as well. Again, the links to these stories are going to be featured on the website. So you can read them at your leisure. And I hope everyone enjoys. Happy reading. Uh, just curiosity, guys. Are we breaking into 11 tonight? Two hours? Yeah. Okay. That was that was you, Rachel. Yeah. We're, we're going hmm? to you now? Huh? What? Eh? And you see Draco realizing, oh my god, like th- like that's something that may I didn't have. <laughs> the hell was that? <laughs> well, what's that? It was I like, don't know. Meg, are you okay? Meg? Did Meg fall? Oh, is- she just threw me. Ah! <laughs> I think I think she she fell out a window or something. <laughs> it always happens at my good points. <laughs> <laughs> I know you were really going there. Keep the memory, keep the thought. Don't. Oh, it was her. It was the two-year-old. <laughs> oh, okay. This is why I do this when I'm on in other countries. If you've heard anything in this episode that you would like to comment on or would like to contribute to the show, you can email any of our staff at their names at potherfickweekly.com or you can email staff at potherfickweekly.com. If you would like to send in a voicemail message, you can either call 781-352-0643 and you can leave a voicemail up to two minutes in length or you can email us an audio file to our email address and we can play that on the show. You can also download a program called the Gizmo Project and you can uh, contact us that way through your computer. For more information, visit potherfickweekly.com.